0: This episode of the Trail Manners Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Go to healthiq.com backslash to support the show and learn more about how you can save money on life insurance. Welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast, episode number 105. Today, we are talking with Mr. Phil Lowry. So if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Trail Manners Podcast in just balmy Studio 78 on a cold, rainy, rainy winter's day. Uh, In Studio 78, we kicked off a new thing uh, with our show because we're just loaded now. We got a Mr. Heater Buddy heater in the bus. Well, it's always been here, I guess. It's always been in here. We've never used it. Right. They're pretty simple. It's a push a button and you get instant heat. Yeah. Uh, But we are, uh, it's kind of iconic where we're at. I thought about this, right? So we're at the start of the Wasatch 100. We are. And this show, launching number 105, begins, the first show begins our third year of doing this. Right. And we actually launched episode one at this location. We did with Scott Heime. Yes. So it's kind of a pretty. I never. Th- I was thinking about that on the way up. It's kind of a monumental location for starting year three. It's it's apropos, I think. And uh, starting year three, we got in. I think an ultra running legend, right? Certainly. Yeah. So we brought in at least along the Wasatch Front. yeah uh, he's 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 been around. He's global. He's been around. He's on bathroom walls and things like that. Bathroom walls. We got Phil Lowry with us today. For a good time call, <laughs> yeah, we're loaded in a bus. The windows are already fogged up. They are steaming, and the cops heart. have already been through ten minutes ago. Yeah, yeah but I got here before you. So. Oh, did you?
1: Oh yeah, they kicked out some people with windows steamed up, and so we're the next one. All right, but so if they know? won't come through for another hour. If you hear yeah. a
0: knock, that's we'll just take a quick break as we talk to officer. We hand them some candy. <laughs> yeah, we get them some candy, and we're out of puppies. So. Davis County Sheriff. Sure. <laughs> that's right. The few, the proud. But uh, but yeah, we're super excited to have Phil on. He yeah, as Joel even mentioned along the Wasatch front for sure. You know, with everything he's he's been involved with and done, but um, man, you've been around, Phil, a long a while and doing a lot.
1: Well, yeah, and I have to tell you that I'm a proud Health IQ customer. They did a real good job on my health insurance. Oh, are you oh, serious? My, my life insurance, I should say. Yeah, about six months ago. Holy cow! Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's what's crazy about it is that they had me do this. They got me on the phone and they had me do this test. But, like, they like to asked me these questions, right. like That only runners would know. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, your heart rate. I don't know what it was. It was like, what's your? They ask you what your times are, but then they start asking you cultural things. Wow, you know, it's it, it's almost like only runners would know the answers right. to these I, questions. Well, it that's was pretty really cool. kind of psychologically creepy. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I could <can> see that. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Like you. Yeah, kudos.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's our new sponsor for here for, for a the few shows. Yeah, for the next month. For the next month. So uh, that's good to hear because we, me and Joel, vet out sponsors. We tried to. And so we get nervous, so that's good to hear. So, Phil, tell us a little bit. I know this is like, could be a whole show, but tell us a little bit about your background in running. And like Joel mentioned, we want to know how you got into trail running. Right. That's a story we've never heard.
1: It, it, it started back in about 1992. I had just finished law school and come up here, taking my first job uh, in Provo. Uh, actually, I was working in Salt Lake for a year. I worked for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. As a clerk, and then took my first private gig in uh, Provo, and um, I started mountain biking. (coughs) Excuse me. I started mountain biking, and um, I really, that's back when mountain biking was a brand new sport, really. I mean, I had an old rock hopper that had no suspension. Nice. Rock shocks had just been invented. Right. And I would go everywhere. I'd ride up past the Y, up the Y, the Slide Canyon Trail, I'd... I'd ride my bike up the old two-lane Provo Canyon Highway all the way up to Wallsburg, and then I'd run the d- ride the dirt roads all the way up to Big Glade and down Hobble Creek, and then bonk at the golf course <laughs> and have to borrow the payphone and have my wife come pick me up and stuff like that. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was it was good times. But I was uh, I joined this outfit called the Timpanogos Emergency Response Team, which still is in existence. They Provide basically a search and rescue quick response up on Mount Timpanogos, and there were a couple dudes on that team, Paul Hart and John Mulmer, who would wear these little nylon packs made by Ultimate Direction and mm-hmm. had these funky little bottles, and they were always like running, and <laughs> when we were up there, and, and they would they would they were movers, and I so I started asking, them, so what's what's your gig? And it uh, turns out that they had been involved with the Wasatch 100. And I'd heard about the Wasatch 100 once. Um, I was on a super shuttle on the, my way to the airport, and somebody was talking about a race that went 100 miles through the Wasatch Mountains. And I thought, wow, that's pretty intense. And that's I thought, well, someday I want to do that. And I'd gotten myself into a little bit better shape just through the mountain biking, but... I, uh, I talked to, uh, to John and Paul, and they told me all about it because they'd been doing it. And, and I think at that point, John had already done it a couple times. And uh, so there was a, a little bit of intrigue within the family in terms of whether, you know, what, what the time commitment and everything is going to be, which everybody deals with. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a recurring theme. Um, but I remember going to Rob's Running Center in the University Mall And buying my first pair of running shoes for the trail, which were a pair of Adidas Trail Response, which had just been invented. Up to that point, people were pretty much running in road shoes. Mm -hmm. In fact, I... Called Dana Miller, and he said you should try the Avia twenty fifty. That would be a really good shoe. <laughs> oh man, I haven't heard that for a long time. This <laughs> <I know. laughs> and so that was kind of the bee's knees. And Ultimate Direction was the only company that made fanny packs. Right. Camelback had just come out with stuff for mountain biking, yep. but if you saw some of those old Camelbacks, if you try to run in them, it was a yeah. slosh fest. It yep. was it was not pretty. So. I went to Rob's Running Center. I bought these shoes, and I threw a cycling jersey and a pair of shorts on, put my new shoes on, and I ran to the top of Timbinogos via the Aspen Grove Trail. And I really wanted to do well on it. And it was, uh, it was 1992, the summer of 92. I made it up in two hours and ten minutes, so I thought that was pretty good. Came down, and I couldn't walk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like you ran down. I ran down. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, I, I had tendinitis in the front of my ankles for like a week oh. from an anterior tip right because i had never run downhill and <laughs> yeah you know y- y- i don't know if you've heard of the stories about like greg lamond or some of the bikers who've tried to g- go into running and right they, they think they can just hit it and no it doesn't work that way you got to give yourself a little bit of time to adapt to that right eccentric contraction type motion yep and um So yeah, that that was my first experience with trail running, and then a a year later, I did the double cross at the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Took me like fifth. I've been training a little bit more. Took me like fifteen hours, and I once again for like two weeks, my my front of my ankles was just messed up. Finally, uh, we worked out how I could do the race, and so 1994, my very first foot trail running race of any kind 5k 10k marathon whatever wasatch 100 oh nice. seems about right i know uh, right boom <laughs> you know You
0: probably studied all over you know social media to figure out how to run them, <laughs> <Yeah>, right, right? <laughs> yeah 1994 bro <laughs> yeah exactly like, like, learning through smoke signals yeah exactly. basically yeah you know
1: calling dana and john Wolmer yep. and a few other folks like what do i do here
3: what do i do here
1: <laughs> right and so uh yeah, I finished it in thirty-four forty-five. Uh, limped in, just messed up as sideways, basically a soup sandwich. Uh, messed up my anterior tip again. I thought I'd trained all that out, but <laughs> right, you know that was how it all started. And then instead of being smart like uh, my former law partner Dave Richards, who ran it the same year with me, and he's like, "This was just stupid. I'm never <laughs> doing it again." Oh, I could do better. I can do better. I can do better. <laughs> I can, I can do better. <laughs> and um, so the rest, as they say, is, is history. history. Right. Yeah. And that was back when that was – Wasatch was one of three trail races in Utah. There was the steeplechase, the Bear Gutsman, and Wasatch. Wow. That was it.
0: What was like – if you remember, what was the, <laughs> the numbers at the start line for the 94 Wasatch? I would say 70 people. Wow, maybe that's 80. pretty good. Uh, you know, 70 or sure. 80 people, and yeah. you had
1: at that point nationwide – um you had more than the four that were the Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. You had I think Mohican had gotten started by then. There were a few other races that were kicking off around the country. Um I'd have to go back and look, but there were probably 10 or 15 hundreds going at that to- uh-huh. at that point. Right. Um Squaw Peak hadn't been invented yet. Holy cow, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. I did the first one of that. That was a crazy what crazy. What year was that? Oh, no. uh, let's see. That was 90 I think it was Bozong's going to get mad at me if I get this wrong. Um, I think it was 97, because he just had his 20th. So okay. I think this year was the 20th. OK. Right.
0: Wow, uh, maybe last year. For was, some reason, so. I thought I was older than that. But I guess it's a 2017 right now. So maybe I'm just that was doing crazy. my numbers right.
1: Yeah, that was crazy, because uh, after mile, Thirty-six. There were no trail markings because Bozon got chased off the course by a mountain lion,
0: hmm. <laughs> and so we basically were like, "Where do we go? Where yeah. do we go?" We <laughs> follow the poop pile because he, he shit himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did all the way down. <laughs> and,
1: was, and we had like six runners that got lost, and search and rescue came out, oh. and it was it was that's a
0: freaking disaster. To do. Yeah. Wow. So you had no. Back, you had no running experience,
3: like not in high school. Didn't do cross oh, no. country. No, no, no. I swam. I so was a swimmer in high it, school. Oh, okay.
0: So you were you swam. You got on a bike, and then you thought hundred mile looked it sounded pretty, good. Yep, cool. Idea. I kind of left good, mountain yeah. biking behind. Right. Um.
1: I remember I had an experience when I was you know really into biking, and I uh I fell and I hurt my wrist and I couldn't ride my bike for like you know a week because my wrist was healing, and I was so bummed out and. I tried hiking and I was, or tried running. I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. This sucks. I want to go back to my bike. And, and uh, you know, now it's kind of the opposite. If I hurt my, if I hurt my leg or something, and I'm, I'm recovering, and I'm, I'm riding as a, as a recovery type of uh, activity, I always get snippy because I can't run. So, mm. I guess it's just the OCD compulsion of the moment. Whatever <laughs> happens to be going on. Right. <laughs> so, you've, you've done. I mean, I mean, how many 100s have you done? Yeah, 49. 49? Yeah, Jill and I were talking about She's like, you got your 49th. We got to get you a 50th. And I'm like, I'm not going to go out and do Pony Express in the wind.
0: Ooh, uh, that we, one? we debated it, and I thought, no, I'll just wait. It's okay. Until next year.
1: Yeah, it's it'll come. So right? what, it what, always does. What, like. do, you,
0: what do, you, your, do you know what your 50th one's going to be yet?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, unless something interposes. I don't plan to do... Uh, the Buffalo Run this year. I've okay. done it a few times. and right. And I think that we're probably going to grab some of the kids and do an aid station. That's kind of oh, like... awesome. That'd be fun. You know, yeah. I, that We're kind of actually really looking forward to that. Um, but uh, uh, probably going to... Well, right now, uh, it's going to be the Cruel Jewel. In Georgia? Yeah. That's in Georgia. Yeah. Wh- when is that? Uh, May 18th.
3: Okay. May okay. 17th. Is that on the same course as the Death Race? I don't know if it's on the same course. It's okay. in.
1: It's near Dahlonega, which is near the, the mountain section of the Ranger School. Mountain face. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if you see anybody out there in uniform looking really dazed, sleep deprived, you know. <laughs> Point them back the other way. Point them back to they say, hey, soldier, you need to get back to your, to your squad. They're yeah, just exactly. Training. Yeah.
3: And you've done the death race before, right? I have not. I oh. thought you had.
1: No. I've done the only, I haven't done very many Eastern races. Okay. Uh, I've done Mohican. Right. That's um, in Ohio, right? That's in Ohio. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, you know. Is
3: that a, like a rail the trail path?
1: No, it's a bunch of. It's a bunch of loops that Is they it? do in Mohican State Park. Right, this looks like a giant clover leaf. Okay, it's a well-run race. They know what they're doing, but it's yeah. it's Ohio. You know, it yeah, doesn't have a lot of vert. Flatish. Yeah, flatish. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind Ohio of Ohio hills. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> you you've done majority of forty-nine hundreds. If you had to guess, or maybe you know, how many ultras have you done?
1: Oh boy, <laughs> I haven't really. I, according to Ultra Sign Up, I've got like eighty plus results. Yeah. Wow, um, but that's Ultra something like that. Right. Yeah, and so. I mean, I've done a bunch of Squaw peaks, um, off and on. I've done the Bryce Fifty. Um, I, I, there was a phase when a, a bunch of us from Utah would go down and do Zane Gray. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Dave Hunt and I would go down there. Right. Um, you know, Dave, uh, he still does that Casino Mosa that Bozong puts on the hundred K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've done that four, I think four or five times. Right. Um, but we we had this we would do this pilgrimage down to Zane Gray and we did that three or four times mm-hmm. really got stoked about that race. But this is still back probably twelve, fifteen years ago when there really weren't a lot of runs around. And now in Utah, you really don't have to leave the boundaries of the state no. to get in a full season. Right. Yeah. Now. Even if you just want to do hundreds and get seven or eight hundreds, you could stay in Utah. Isn't that just amazing? It blows my have? mind. Yeah, it blows my mind. You look at what yeah, uh, but Jim's doing, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got the the salt flats is out there. I remember there was a, it's funny, um, when they started the salt flats. Um, I had, there was a joke that was made about ten years before. Irv Nielsen uh, is on the Wasatch committee, and he has kind of been the guy that plans out courses and stuff. And one of the things you always worry about with Wasatch is fires. You know, yeah. there's a fire that happens, at, and it's happened at the Bear. Um, I don't know if you knew last year at the bear in 2016, of course, it got weathered out. And so the course got changed. Only the second time in its history, it's had to change the course because of snow and rain. Right. But they had to do it last year. But if they hadn't done that, the course still would have been different because of the fire that happened Mm -hmm. in, um, I think it was Peterson Hollow. And so the Forest Service said, you need to move out of there, because the fire was out, but there were stags and stuff like that that they were worried about, and they didn't want them. Or stags, what do they call them, snags, stags? Trees that fall and hit you and kill you. Um, <clears throat> widowmakers. Yeah, widowmakers, <laughs> something like that. That's true. <laughs> and so, uh, basically, um, w- there was a joke that Irv made back in the day about, you know, if we have a big fire in the Wasatch course, we can just have everybody go out to the salt flats and run around in circles. Oh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's one survivor on the salt flats. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know Have you Did, done that one then? No, I haven't. Yeah, okay. I Vince Romney uh, Romney's the director and and he invited me to come out a couple of three years ago, but it just didn't work out with my schedule and work. And it was funny, I was having this conversation with my wife this morning. Uh we we're thinking about getting out for a run this weekend, but work has been crazy and so's life and, and so we're thinking, well, we'll wait till next weekend. And she was a little stressed out because i was you know charging headlamps and doing other things in case we could get out she goes are you like we have a lot to do with the house i said well no that's fine we we can just go do something local here right oh okay uh it's just like when you get ready for something you you know i I was just thinking you want to go do it and i said you have to understand that there's probably four or five hundreds that i've entered had my drop bags ready for and then at the last minute had to divert because I've had work or I've had family or I've had whatever and it's just like no it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the sport or you just like you get up on Thursday morning the race is the next day and you're like I'm not going to do this. This is this is not in my head. So, you know, that's happened to me, you know, half a dozen times. So um unfortunately, you know, I I was all prepared to do Vince's race and it didn't work
0: out. Right. <coughs> yeah, that's, that's a interesting one. So For when
3: sure. so let's let's talk about that a little bit. So if you got that 100-miler coming up and you wake up on Thursday morning and say something happens psychologically, you're just not there. Mm -hmm. Mentally, you're not there. How do you handle that? Do you just blow it off? Basically, yeah. Because you've done so many? Yeah. I mean, it's like— It doesn't bother you going forward. You're just like, okay, let's move on to the next one? Yeah. Is that part of your personality or is that something that you've developed over the years because you've done so many? Um, it's probably a combination of both. I know Crockett does the
1: same thing. I mean, Crockett's done double the hundreds I have, and he got started yeah. later. I mean, I, I I like to think he's my apprentice because you know I was I presented him his first buckle. I I right. talked to him about let's get you through the bear, and I didn't really coach him that much. The guy knows what he's doing,
0: but right. that'd be somebody we need to talk to. David Crockett, mm-hmm. he does right. like all the time. He's doing something. Right, he's always doing something. Something crazy. First time um, I was uh, um,
1: at. I'd gone out to the to the Uintas, and there was a big group run going on that you know Craig Lloyd puts on those those uh, um, big gr- gaggles, and so there was the Kings Peak Madness or whatever it was called. I don't remember what he called it. Kings Peak Mountain Marathon or Kings uh, Peak Kings something. Peak something. Yeah, right, <coughs> it's not organized, but he, he just says everybody get together, and there's lots of good food, and that's all I care about. <laughs> so, food. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> we went out to uh, at the point at this point I, I was just getting to know my wife Jill. And I said, why don't we go out and do this run with these people? And that's kind of how we were getting to know each other was through running. And so we were running up to, well... She'll tell you differently. Uh, originally, it was going to go out to Gunsight Pass and back. So I packed food and water accordingly. And then we got to Gunsight Pass. And she's like, where's King's Peak? And I said, well, it's right over there. That's <laughs> it. And 1.78 miles as the crow flies, according to my GPS Oregon <laughs> 752. <laughs> and she's like, well, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Why don't we go? And I, she was kind of taken off my lead because she'd never been there before. And of course, then, you know, uh, that basically doubles the difficulty of the run and on the way back, she bonked pretty bad because I didn't bring enough food, and I I felt really bad about it. I'm I'm amazed we still got married after that experience. (laughs) Um, Last five miles was a death march, but uh, we saw Crockett going out, and he was coming back, and he was attempting to do to Triple Kings, and he got turned around after the second. And, and, you know, it was funny because we talked to him a little bit, and his eyes were bloodshot. He'd been up for 30-something hours, and he was just looking like he'd been hit by a train. And we finally got done talking, and we start running back up the trail, and, you know, the look on her face was, who was that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he lives here. Yeah. He's my friend. Yeah, exactly. We, <laughs> he's we got my buddy. Those, right? We <laughs> yeah. see once in a while out of, out of nowhere. But yeah. I love Crockett to death, but he's kind of got the same attitude, going back to your question. Okay. Is, um, you know, a 100-miler is a big deal to do. Mm-hmm. You don't do it lightheartedly. Right, right. But it also can become something that you can develop a uh, an M.O. to get done, and you know what you're doing. I remember Tom Remkes, um, who is a great runner um, just and got, has got nerves of steel. The guy runs in pain all the time because of his knee and his ankle. Um, we were at the start of the Buffalo Run once, and he kind of comes up to me and he gives me this, he looked me up and down and I got my fanny pack on and I got crap stuffed into my, my, I wear cycling jerseys. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. You yeah. got,
0: a, you got an MO of just how you show up to a race, exactly. like your bike it's jerseys. Basically
1: yeah. it's okay. Here comes the half-assed astronaut. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I show up and I'm all ready to go and I got my stuff and I, you know, everything's dialed in and I got my gauges and my watches and, and the only person I know that's more geeked out than me is probably Robert Edminster, who. <laughs> is someone you probably ought to talk to yeah. about all of his stuff. But anyway, <coughs> um, you know, Ramke's does his typical look me up and down, and he's, like, carrying a hand bottle, and I think he's got a cracker in his <laughs> pocket. <laughs> and he says, oh, well you certainly have a lot of stuff. And you know, oh. He's done this to me, like, five times. That was a good you know, impression. That was a good impression. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, I... I just carry enough to make sure I can finish. And he says, well, I don't carry that much, so I make sure that if I want to go home, I can. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That was awesome. That was a good. Round. But was going a good. back to the MO question, <laughs> yeah. that's
1: what you do. I mean, you just kind of show up, and uh, it, sometimes you can – sometimes you get into a position where um, you're, you're half – what I don't like is getting into the position where you're halfway through a race, and it's like, well, i got to bail. And I've only dnf um, I have DNF'd hundreds, um, <coughs> two, 100,
0: two, 100 milers.
1: One so. yeah. Okay. I dnf the Buffalo run one year. And that was right before I was, um, um, I'm trying to remember if that was right before. Yeah. That was right before I was deploying and my brain was all screwed up. And then I dnf the bear during the snowy year in 2013. Mm. Um, it just was, I, 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 I lost my give a damn. Right. And, uh, that was it, um, but that was those were the only races I DNF'd. I did a DNF once at the Buffalo Run, mm-hmm. this and then I went getting, home. story <laughs> after getting McDonald's because I was sick and I was pissed off because I right. kept getting sick. Because that's one of the things I one of the things I fight. And I got home, and my son, who's now a naval officer, nuclear submarine naval officer, um, he's sitting at the kitchen table. And of course, this was my son. I I got home at one thirty in the morning, and he's still up. <laughs> Uh, on a Friday night. And he's like, what's going on, Dad? Did you finish this early? I said, no, I dropped out at mile 53 and or 52. And he's like, what happened? I said, I got really sick. And he said the exact thing that I did not need to hear, which was, well, look at it this way, Dad. There's not very many people in the world that can run 52 miles the way you did. And I'm like, what the hell are <laughs> you talking about? And I got really angry, and I got back in the car. Not at him, just in general. And I drove back, showed up at the start finish, and found found skaggs and i said permission to rejoin your course sergeant and he <laughs> said okay uh. <laughs> i can see that I too at see, a gym yeah. kind of like huh yeah, yeah. whatever <laughs> do you do you have your stuff are you ready to go do you feel better and i said yeah i feel great look at me he says yeah you look a lot better than you, you were you know you were gray and pale-faced lying on this cot two hours ago <laughs> but i said i had mcdonald's i'm good <laughs> and uh so i went out and finished the race i finished in like 28 hours and something and <laughs> i had to d- i ended up running 104 105 miles because i had to i dnf'd After like halfway game. between the start finish and the elephant head aid station second oh, and then exactly. i ended up just going back you right. know yeah t- i took the shortest way back yep. trying to avoid the buffalo and so I had to go back out that way mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> it ended up being
0: 105 but it was good yeah i remember hearing about that it's I like yeah too. phil phil dropped he went home, home yep and then came back and finished yep. that was that was awesome <laughs> That was. i'm like i love that okay story. and that's
1: what i love about skags there's some races where you know you get into a moving car and the rules are like you're done, you're done. Yeah. you know we're going to yeah. cut your cut your bracelet over the freak they give you um it's like i you know, or they'll take your bib. Yeah. He's like, Well, you try to take my bib. You won't be able to find it because <laughs> I don't like pinning crap to my clothes. So I always stuff it in the bottom of my pack. <laughs> it's like, where's your bib? I always have my number memorized. Except now, you know, it's a problem because Jill and I have run 300s together now. Uh-huh. So she has a number and I have a number. And lots of times I'll come in and she'll be right behind me or she'll come in and she'll be right in front of me. And so one of us will call out both of our numbers. And right. I get us confused sometimes. I'm like, uh-huh. well, am I 1159 or am I 1160? I can't remember. <laughs> you've got
3: to sharpen that on your, your
1: I know exactly. Your <laughs> what i got to do now is like or start wearing my bib like everybody else. But no. 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 Can't be a rule follower. Can't,
0: can't. No, no way. Yeah, No definitely. way.
3: You've got a precedent that you've set. You need to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: part of your M.O., right? It
3: is. Mm-hmm. So I
0: remember when I first saw you on the trail. You did. I think you had. I know it was a bike jersey, but I don't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was like an army one. Or yeah, wear or an army one a lot. Sometimes I wear Pink Floyd. Yeah, it wasn't that one. But then you also had like watches or GPSs strapped to your oh, pack yeah, yeah. Uh, strap. Probably uh, there was something on the back of your hat. Yeah, that was on there. Yeah, that was my. That was uh, that
1: was probably like a an iPod Shuffle or something. Yeah, you know, or, I was like a like, oh.
0: little music
1: mp3 player used to run a little sony now i'm kind of doing what everybody else is doing i just use my phone kind of
0: following the 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 tribe now right yeah you know it's what's (laughs) you know what's really funny
1: about that though um i've done a lot of work with gps i have a i have a post-processable professional grade gps that i used used to use to survey trail and i don't do a lot of that too much anymore i mean there's not a lot of demand for it i'm not that crazy about being hyper accurate Mm -hmm it doesn't make any difference anyway because you'll go out there and you'll measure a course. And, and if you diverge anything from what the race director says it is, you're just asking for trouble. It's like insulting their child. So, you know, yeah, I just keep it to myself. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. But um, what's interesting about that is uh, Jill and I did the Grand Canyon double cross uh, a couple, of three weeks ago. And uh, you know what gave me the absolute best track? What? That didn't have much multipath, which is when you get the reflections, or you just lose signal, and mm-hmm. then you all of a sudden reacquire, and it's like four miles away, and then right. it draws this big, huge straight line, and looks like you're Superman. It was my damn phone. Really? I mean, really? iPhone Seven Plus. Yeah, it was better than my Garmin Phoenix Three. It was better wow. than my Oregon Seven Fifty T. Yeah. So I went and researched a little bit on the chips that they're using on that. Those suckers pick up not only the the American GPS, but also the Russian GLONASS and the new uh, European Galileo satellites. So they don't tell you how many satellites they're picking up, right. but they're working their butts off. And, um, you know, I, I'm just to the point now,
3: it's like, just use my frickin' phone for anything. So how close was that to previous measurements? Your phone to the previous? Oh, you know, I'd have to go back and look. You know the most accurately
1: surveyed trail in the world is the, uh, the Bright Angel Trail from the South Rim phantom ranch they actually used a theodolite which is a surveying instrument and chains stretched chain that was temperature corrected to measure the length of that trail so if you ever want to you know calibrate your gps that's where to with do it with that is where to do it huh? absolutely perfectly measured trail yeah. you can do it on the ba that's crazy yeah and that's all that's on crazy terrain you know it's, yeah, it it's got all the factors where you say okay my gps you know, I think that's like nine point one one miles. I got to go back and look right. from there to Phantom, or to the Bright Angel Bridge, and not the Silver Bridge, but the little one that goes over Bright Angel Creek. Right. So anyway, that just feels longer than go. that on the way out. I'll tell you it that. It's right longer now. than that on the way out, especially <laughs> when you're going through that stupid sand pile.
2: <laughs> is, it's
1: like, and they have that little. I think they used to have a little, little diorama thing. I think they've taken it down now. It shows some dude walking through sand. It's like, why is there sand dunes here? <laughs> right. And every time I would walk by that guy on my way back up, I would look at him and say,
3: Dick. Yeah, just spite the whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. I
0: don't want to <laughs> run in the sand. <laughs> So from all your all your experience from 94 till till now, something new happened for you this year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this year, I mean, I just looked at your, and I'm going to bring it up because it's pretty crazy. And this is just basically off Ultra Signup. You had over 850 miles of races. Yeah. Right? And not training, not Grand Canyons. So this year, I mean, you did the Antelope Island 100, Zion 100, Squaw Peak 50, Bryce 100, Black Hills 100, mm-hmm. and then came a new benchmark for you right yeah uh, you the the 200 miler the bigfoot 200 the bigfoot 200
1: i i decided i wanted to try the 200 mile distance last year about this time mm-hmm. and um mostly because what got me into the 100 mile distance was the adventure aspect of it and right. taking something on that was really spectacular and i was interested in doing wasatch because at the time wasatch was kind of the Probably the hardest hundred in the world. I mean right. This was before UTMB, before um, Hard Rock, before um, some other races that have come out now that may be vying for that position. And I'm not going to get involved in that debate. Um, but um, I wanted to do something big and bold, and that's why I I, I did Wasatch for my first race. And it, there was some bragging rights with it, but also just the adventure aspect of you know you come over. When you're running Wasatch and you hit Francis Peak and you're running down from Francis Peak and you can see where you're going, mm-hmm. it's kind of mind-boggling. And then when you hit, when you hit the top of, um, if you're lucky enough to get to Red Lovers Ridge before the sun goes down, which I've only done a few times. Um, You look back and you can see the domes of Francis Peak way behind you. It's like I was there earlier today, and now (laughs) the sun's going down, and I still need to go
2: over there.
1: Right? You know, you and you see Tempanogus, and you have to go even further. (coughs) But um, the two hundred was very intriguing to me, and I I I read some interesting literature about how the two hundred mile distance is actually probably easier on your body than the hundred mile distance, and that really intrigued me. Hmm. So I decided to go for it. Um, the other thing though that happened is I got married mm-hmm. um, and my wife Jill uh, really had a big goal to finish the bear 100 oh. and also to finish her first 100 right so she signed up for Zion Bryce and the bear and that was going to be kind of like okay these are this is as they say in music gratis ad Parnasum you know the steps to the top of Mount Parnassus so you gradually you know every people talk about great edited racing and we weren't really doing it distance wise, but distance and, and climbing wise, we were. Just right. get you used to the distance. Um, I think that she probably could have done the bear cold, you know, just by training all summer. Right. But I, th- she had a lot more confidence going in, knowing she already had a couple hundreds. What was funny is that it was only supposed to be a 750 mile summer. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> a 700 mile summer because <laughs> we kind of threw in Squaw Peak at the last minute because I really wanted her to see this course that I love so much. Right. And I wanted her to meet Bozong because. Meeting Bozong is a unique experience, um, and uh, I also um, was uh, I was not planning on running Black Hills. Yeah. We ran Bryce, and at mile sixty seven, Jill was just basically walking into trees, falling asleep on her feet, oh. which we've identified as you know you everybody has their their weaknesses. Some people are, they, they have gastric issues. Most people do. Other people have issues with pain in various areas, and so they know. Okay, I got a tape. Or I got to do this. Got whatever. Hers is is sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. and which really didn't bother that much. At the bear. I was really happy about that. We've we've I think we've worked that out. Um, caffeine pills are awesome, by the way. <laughs> I'm not endorsing this product, but I'll just say. Um, but she she. She wanted to sleep at the Canab Creek Aid Station, which was mile 67. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we're 50 minutes from the cutoff. It's five ten in the morning. Cutoff's at 6. She was just let me sleep. You go ahead and go on. And we each had, you know, our in-reach personal beacon locators, and they, they have message capability. Okay. So she said, look, I'll just in-reach you. I'll get up in 40 minutes, and then I'll catch up with you, or it, I'll let you know where, you, where I am, and then you can figure out what you're doing. I said, okay, that sounds fair. Because she says, I really want you to finish the race. I really want you to finish the race. So I, I took off. I didn't hear from her for about an hour and a half. And so I finally messaged her. And I said, how's, how's everything going? She goes, I'm at the hotel. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I she she got hotel. She
1: got woken up by the aid station. People say, hey, we cut off in about 15 minutes. She goes, screw you. I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she's the only one left. everybody has gone. Of course, yeah. the Sunday after this, she's mad as heck. Yeah. yeah. And the day after, she's like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that, which is typical DNF regret. Right. Yep. And so uh, we actually went on a recovery hike mm-hmm. around Silver Lake, which is one of our favorite places to go. And um, we just do laps around Silver Lake up at Brighton. Right. Um, it's flat, it's beautiful, it's at altitude, and it's nice. And so we were just walking around the lake. And in the course of doing four laps around that lake, I had managed to email and confirm and get into. <laughs> The Black Hills 100 because I know the, now, was I did the inaugural. <laughs> was that her idea or your idea? It was kind of both of our ideas, and she said, "Well, she's a surgeon, so she doesn't have very many weekends where she can just take off. Right. I mean, you know, she's she has patients. She operates on Thursday, and if her patients in the hospital, she she's she's, she's not mass. on call, but she really can't go away right, for yeah. more than you know 12 hours, right? Uh, in case something happens with one of her patients, and so or even less than that. So she's very dedicated to that, um, you know, as a physician would be. So she um we she had that weekend where she could she could do it. And uh so um literally I did uh, two hundred milers back to back. The first time I did that, and she did 167 miles in two weeks. That's amazing. And, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. And, and the directors up there are awesome. I did the inaugural of that race and came in second to Adam Schwartzlow, who's a great runner from Minnesota. And so um, it was only two, one of two people that year to go under 24. So I, that was really a, a nice homecoming for me. Plus, I like Sturgis. That whole area is just pretty. Yeah. I want to get up there. And <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. I highly recommend that race. The vibe, everything about it. It's almost all on single track. Wow. Um, and it's running through Ponderosa Pine forests. But you have birches because it's farther east. And so it's birch oh, yeah. and aspen. It's really cool. That race happens. Same, weekend, same as weekend as Western. Same weekend as Western. And they did it that okay. way intentionally. If you're not running Western, come run our stuff. Okay. Yep. That's you how know. they
0: market it up all year. Mm-hmm. It's right. pretty cool how they it's do it. It's a
1: fun race. And Sturgis is a happening town. You know, great food, great beer, great everything. Right. It's, just, it's a good vibe. 100 people. You know, it's not a huge race, right? And the people there are awesome. Now is
3: that the cap hundred, or is that no? Just no, that's just about 100. average. Yeah, I think, average. I
1: think they let in more, but you know, they're kind of out on, on this cul-de-sac of the world, as it were. And right, and that's what kind of makes it nice. So, and not to plug it too hard, but those guys are awesome. Shout out to to uh, the folks who put that race on. But anyway, so we did the Black Hills, and so she had her two races, and then we did the Bear. But in the interim, you're right, the Bigfoot. So. One of the things, I really love that area of the country, the North Cascades, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know too much about it. Um, So off I went, and uh, my strategy was really simple. This is a long race, and so you need to go out really easy. Right. So I use heart rate. That's no secret. I mean, the folks who run with me or ever talk to me about what's your race strategy like, it's all based on heart rate. Mm -hmm. So at a 100-miler, I use the heart rate as a governor in the beginning. So I try to keep my heart rate, like when I was younger, I try to keep it below 160. Now it's really, let's not go over 150. Okay. Jim Knight used to say that for every second you go over your anaerobic threshold at Wasatch, you will throw up once during the night. Um, So if you stay above it for 10 seconds, you're going to throw up 10 times.
3: Holy cow. Oh, no.
1: (laughs) And uh, Jim's? You know he's he's pr- he's he's run the race twenty times. He right. Kind of knows what he's talking about, and he doesn't train, which <laughs> just makes me really mad. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, so I use it as a governor. Right. And so, for example, when I was working with Steve Newman, so he could run the bear, I said, "Keep your heart rate at this," based upon a number of training runs I'd done with him. And he talked to me afterwards, and he says, "That was so freaking hard. I mean, for the first... Twenty miles, I'm running with Celeste Coleman. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I said, did she give you anything pink to wear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> did she talk your ear off? I love Celeste. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love oh, Celeste yeah. to Death. But you know, Celeste, she's she's one of these folks that you can mark the aid station cutoffs by her. And, and oh yeah, she she finishes sometimes, and sometimes it's not her day. I love Celeste to Death, but you know, he was really frustrated, but then he was able to really pick it up. Right. Um, and he didn't really go harder he just stayed at that pace Mm -hmm. and he realized that everybody else was kind of falling back because they'd gone out hard so that's the attitude i had towards the bigfoot so my governing heart rate for that was 130 which almost is like for me kind of not breaking a sweat as it were um way below wasatch like Mm -hmm. 150 would be where i'd be a wasatch and so i'm Hanging out at one thirty, and Ben Light goes by me in the first five minutes, and then everybody else is behind. Is, I mean, people are just blowing by me. I feel like a rock in a river. <laughs> right.
3: So that one thirty heart rate, what's that pace looking like for you? Um, I'd have to go
1: back and look because you know I don't pay a lot of attention to right. my pace, and yep. I don't pay a lot of attention to my climb rate um, when I'm in a race. Yeah. Um, it because
3: I'm, I'm I just don't care. Well, sure, but I mean, how? how much of a difference do you think that is just off how much you? you know realistically probably like if you put it on a like a perceived effort scale
1: <laughs> okay um, best way to do that is with kind of my governing mountain which would be Tempogas there we go so if I'm if I've kind of redlining temp and yeah. I really going for a fast time and I'm in the like low 150s mm-hmm. I'm gonna get up in about 145 okay okay if I'm uh, hanging out about 140 I'm gonna get up in about 155. Mm-hmm. And if I'm at one thirty it's going to be a n- it's going to maybe a sub two day. It's going to be more like a 2:06, a 2:08, 2:10, okay. okay. depending on the conditions in the day. Right. So that gives you an idea. So what a half hour spread over this? Uh, That's 1:45 is 105 minutes versus a 130. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a it, it takes a it it wax you down. It's t- it's 20 to 25 percent slower. Right. Going okay. at 1:30. So I hung out there for a long time and. Uh, uh, got into the first uh, first uh, major aid station where I had crew and everything, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, Johnston Overlook, Johnston Observatory, which is where you all the f- tourists go and they park and they look at Mount St. Helens, look right. you know down to the mall, the beast is it where, where it blew up. Mm-hmm. It's where the guy um, that was killed, the volcanologist named Johnston, died. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's named after him. It's right. really a weird experience running through that blast zone. It right. feels like running. I don't know if you ever run in the desert like run Havelina 100 or south mountain in phoenix no nope. feels like phoenix really wow. it was really weird it was it was like I, I i was having an out-of-body experience i have photos of people crossing the blast zone with a telephoto lens you know in my I, on my pack and like max bliss who's run wasatch 20 times and he was there i got some good shots of him and um there was a guy out there with a soul with a with an umbrella he was one of the racers. Yeah, a big solar umbrella. You know, he used it to shade himself. It was kind of cool watching. Wow. You know, Mary Poppins. In the race, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so for a minute, you're kind of like, is that real? Am I hallucinating? No, it, right. <laughs> really. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was. It was. But the vibe was so cool. I mean, it was so awesome. The people there were. The intensity level, is just not as high as it is at hundred. And right. the best way that I can describe it to you, is um, compare if you've ever done a road marathon. And I'm um, out. Okay. Yeah. Well, you you <laughs> are both one. You are both wise children. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but for I've those who it. have, and you understand the vibe before a, ra- a a road marathon, and even if you're not into that whole vibe, you're doing it as a training run because you've got 103 weeks, and this is your last training run, and you're going to do a marathon because. You had to go on vacation to Walt Disney World, and there just happens to be a marathon, so you're going to do it. Sounds like he's had that experience before. I huh? I know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, so if you if you are in that exp- that the whole ambiance, as it mm-hmm. were, you take that and you go to a hundred, mm-hmm. and a hundred is that much less stressed out. Right. Now go from the hundred to the two hundred. It's almost the same. You're moving from from one whole order of magnitude to another. Right. At the 200, everybody's kind of like, what's up? <laughs> group picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Group <laughs> picture. Let's do the group picture. Everybody's, group picture, OK. All right. Let's go. You know? And it's like. <laughs> everybody I, starts everybody marching. Starts, everybody starts walking up the trail. <laughs> right. You know? There's like five dudes that are running. It's like, sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's not like at bigfoot now i don't know about candace's other races now this this race director candace burt she's amazing she has really put together a quality product um but uh i don't know about her other races but there really isn't like a conga line pinch point um things when we started bigfoot we were on a cross-country ski trail for like Mm -hmm. two miles and it was basically a road right old logging road um it was it was easy to get I never really felt like I was having to jostle around or anything. People could get by me. I could get by people. But right. almost everybody was passing me. And somebody told me that was tracking the race said that I went from, like, um, like, 90th place to 12th place in the course of, of 40 hours. Um, and I was, like, ba- I was in the middle of the back of the pack right. uh, for the first half a day. Um and when I got to Johnson observatory,
0: that's when things really changed at mile forty. Was that tough for you mentally though? I mean, I know you're you're dialed into everything, but was that just such a difference for you? Like everybody's past me, I'm near the end. I knew that that Jill
1: Jill had I told Jill my plan and she said, You better stick with it. You better not go out too fast. Right. You really need to stick with your plan. And we had this conversation like five times. She was my crew chief. Actually, she wasn't my crew chief. She paced me 90 miles for the race. Oh that, I, that, that did not show up in her ultra sign-up. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's, it counts. <laughs>
3: uh, it does. Yeah. Basically, that was her... her that ride. was her fourth hundred. Yeah, for the year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she paced me 90 miles. And having to go 90 miles with a surly husband. <laughs> I mean...
3: I like that surly.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> she'd be, she would stand in overwatch while I'd sleep for seven minutes at a time on the side of the trail. Um, but when I knew that if... if I, I was watching my I, my average heart rate was like 131. Sometimes it'd get up to 136 cuz I'd get excited. It's like stop, slow down, <laughs> get excited. Sing you know, no, tur- right. change the music. No, you know, you know, go from go from your your 80s hits over to Sibelius. Calm down. You know, I had to do something <laughs> to get to slow down cuz right. I just am not used to running that slow. And it was so easy. I mean, I didn't hurt. I didn't I wasn't worried about I got to pick up the heart rate. I got to pick up It was like do 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 do. Um, I was carrying like a ton of water because Ben's like, before the race, that blast zone will kill you. It killed me last year. You got to get through the blast zone, okay? And I right. said, okay, I'm carrying like two gallons of water, dude, <laughs> you know? Um, and I've got my filter and I'm ready to go. I carried, I carried way too much water, by the way. I was so overprepared. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, and so I got to Johnston Ridge and there's Jill. And so the first thing I do is like a four-year-old kid. I show sure her my heart rate monitor. Look, look at my heart rate. 131, 131 <laughs> average. Look, see, so good. See, I did it. They I did it. I did shot it. Shot up at that point. I, right? could it, yeah. I could do it. I could do it. And she says, "How do you feel?" And to answer your question, Joel, I feel like a caged animal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly see? what I yeah. said. <laughs> 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 I just. I can't run! Yeah, <laughs> I have to go so slow! I hate this! But then my son, who's uh my other son who's a naval officer in San Diego, he, surface warfare. He uh, had come up, he was on leave. So yeah. he's, he paced me from Johnson Ridge down to Coldwater. Right. And it was awesome running with him again, because he paced me. The only other time he's paced me is at the Wasatch 100 when I went under 24 hours. Oh, like, yeah. In 2010. So that was an awesome experience. And we had a great time during that, and then during the Bigfoot, we had a great time talking, and of course, we we start, talked about the race for like a half a mile, and the rest of the time is talking about what's going on with all the siblings and from his perspective. And it was basically this, you know, uh, you know, most fathers when they talk to their sons who are in the Navy, who are back from sea, who are on leave, will you know go out to dinner or have a milkshake or something. But of course, not me. we said, no. we, we run during a hundred mile or two hundred mile <laughs> race. Yeah, we catch up. That's that's yeah, the exactly. way the Lowrys do it. But um, we got to cold water. His wife was there, Ian's wife. And um, so we had a, uh, I had a cheeseburger. I think I had a cheeseburger at almost every single bacon burger at almost every single. Aid now, who was, was that? Awesome. Was that Ben that was saying was that's what like, like, he? Oh ben. yeah, like eight of
0: them or
3: something.
1: I didn't count. Saying, yeah. I don't. I don't count my bowel movements like Ben does. But <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Even though I have a wife who's a colorectal surgeon, and I I could probably get like some kind of a diary from her from <laughs> free sample. of <laughs> free How sample. to uh, how to count your bowel movements. Um,
0: <laughs> backslash.
1: <laughs> but I I actually uh, I I at that point. It was when I got to Coldwater, which was like mile 43, it was game on. Yeah. Because at that point, the amount of time I'd been out and the fatigue that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. See, what happens if you look at anybody who tracks their heart rate during a major event like an ultra, you'll see that at a certain point, your heart rate starts to go down. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not—I've actually talked to a cardiologist about this. It has nothing to do with your heart. It has to do with the fact that you're becoming fatigued, so fewer and fewer muscle fibers are firing. And mm-hmm. so even though you feel like you're really pushing hard, you're pushing hard with less. Right. So okay. your heart's just not as stressed. And so you'll feel like towards the end of a race that 125, you're about to puke, mm-hmm. but you're at 125. Why is that? Because what you are using is maxed out, mm-hmm. and it's generating waste products. And the other things are kind of like, yeah, dude, go ahead. Um, you know, muscle fibers that are no longer going to work for you. Um, so you, and plus you've got, I don't know, there's all kinds of s- physiological systems and subsystems that I don't pretend to understand. But all I know is what I see when I graph the data, which is your heart rate goes down. Right. So by the time it's nightfall on the first day, one thirty is about what I can do. Yeah. Right. You know, and you know, to be to be to be strong. So actually, it was about sixteen hours that I was able to maintain that heart rate. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it started to go down. But then it'll go down, and it'll get down to about 115, and it'll kind of stay there. Okay. And then you can maintain that effort, as I found, for another 60, 55 hours. <laughs> Jeez. And that's what I was able to do. And right. the downhills are easier, but the uphills, I still could, I could crank it. And then, of course, there's the very finish, which I'll save for a second, but where I, I found out how much I could crank it. So anyway... I I hit cold water and then um uh Ben was ahead of me at this point but I I caught up to him at Norway Pass and he was sitting there and he left a little bit before me but Ben had a diff- different strategy because he'd done these before he knew when to sleep he knew what to do mm-hmm. I knew the sleep was going to be a problem for me because it wasn't or was was because was I just be a didn't problem? know what well it was going to be it was an unknown yeah right One thing that was never a problem for me was my gut it just I just wasn't. Because you're Joukowsky going management. slower. Yep. Because you're eating cheeseburgers. You're eating cheeseburgers. You're drink- I've got my milks. I, you know, that's something oh. I learned from Wojciechowski. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Every I, time
1: someone says that, that's exactly yeah. what I think yeah. about. Yeah. 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 That guy milk. knows
0: how to run an Ultra. man. <laughs> <laughs> I see that picture of him and tell you I'd drink it out of a gallon oh. jug. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's why I think that's why I don't drink milk anymore. Oh, it's my because of him. I just think of <laughs> drinking <laughs> milk when I'm running. No, milk is the Bob for me. Oh, but I love
1: milk. And Jill's hooked on it too. She, she, she drank a lot of milk. white milk or chocolate milk. Uh, white it milk, doesn't whole, 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 tr- of course, whole. whole. Yeah, yeah. You Always can't do whole. the the yeah, skim. Give me my fat. I yeah, need yeah. my fat <sighs> exactly. Um, and then also core powers. I'm not. I'm yeah. not, oh, yeah. not being paid by core power. No, but uh, I love core who power. Was, I mean, who was? I can that? Live off core power.
3: Tara. Tara Warren. Tara Warren. Yeah, she <laughs> introduced those two. She's us. another
1: half-ass astronaut, by the way.
3: <laughs> she she is totally <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. In
1: fact, that's what I called her in the bear last last year in the winter in the during the winter bear or whatever we call it. Uh, she didn't remember it because I reminded her at the beginning of, of this bear. I said, do you remember when I ca- caught up with you at 2 in the morning and it was snowing on us? And I said, what are you, some kind of half ass astronaut? I <laughs> yeah. don't remember that. I said, well, I do. I thought it was damn funny. <laughs> <laughs> it still is. So. Yeah, still exactly. Is, so. <laughs> and that's, that's a line from Jaws, by the way. That's what Quint calls Hooper when he, Hooper's putting all of his oceanographic stuff on, oh, the, on right. the on the, <laughs> on the <Yep>. ship, <laughs> on the orca. Yep. And Quint <laughs> goes, what are you, some kind of half ass astronaut? <laughs> that's I love right. that line. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I can't claim credit for it. Um. So anyway, um, I hit Norway Pass. Ben leaves a little bit before me. But Ben's strategy was he'd grab these two-hour naps. And I didn't right. know what I was going to do. So my plan was, if I felt good through the first night, I knew that having done so many hundreds, I could make it through the first night without yeah. too much of a problem. And yeah. the second day. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my plan is just drive on. Don't stop unless you really feel tired. hmm I was right before Elk Pass when I I hit this. I got this wave of real, real extreme fatigue, mm-hmm. and based upon my experience in several other hundreds I'd run, I knew that if I just took like a seven-minute cat nap, that I'd probably recover. So I set my alarm on my phone for 15 minutes right. from when I laid down. F- got under this big, huge. Oh, the trees there are amazing. I w- by this point, I'm out of the blast zone, so I'm like in this massive forest that smells like you don't. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to replicate the smell with our little uh, a- uh, oil atomizer in our room, <laughs> and Jill keeps coming up with different. Com- does this smell like the Bigfoot? Does this <laughs> smell recipes. like the Bigfoot? Because she knows too, because she ran 90 she miles. Exactly. We're like we're like trying to recreate the Bigfoot in our bedroom. You know, I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, um, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting closer. White fur, by the way, is. had a close. cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> <the> <laughs> <nightstand>. <laughs> right. just put it on the nightstand. <laughs> but but I I would find a, I'd crawl into one of these big trees and yeah. the ground would be all duff and very soft. And what was interesting that I I laid down and I slept and seven minutes later I was up. Right. And I'm like the alarm didn't even go off, mm-hmm. but I felt completely refreshed. Right. Wow. So I got up and I remember while I was lying there somebody ran by. So mm-hmm. I saw their. It was just light. It was first light. So. You could still tell if someone was going by with their light, but it was like you could s- kind of see it through your eyelids. And I was aware that they were going by, but I was also asleep, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. And it was funny because they stopped, and mm-hmm. then they kept going. It's sort of like they see a body on the trail. Well, yeah. Later, about a day and a half later, I did. I was uh, doing the exact same thing. I actually was lying down on the trail, on the side of the trail, with my arm across the single track because I used my right arm as a pillow. <laughs> Jill was standing there. Um. Watching her watch to make sure that I didn't sleep too long. And there was this dude who came by. Did not skip a beat. It's like, dude in trail. Continue. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>. Normal. <laughs> was he a runner or was he, he was like a runner? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. Just, okay. Dude in trail. Yeah. Sleeping. At
3: that point. <laughs> At that point. It's Norman. Like, yeah, normal, it's, right? It's,
1: it's it's like things that normally would be slu- somewhat socially unnerving. Yes. Uh, or uh, otherwise strange. Mm-hmm. You don't even care. Right. It's sort of like the ultra, you know, you go around a corner and there's, there's a woman squatting to pee. Drive on, continue. Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's this is something we see all the time. Yeah, where you know people get all, oh, I gotta find a bush or something. It's like no, you don't. This (laughs) is an ultra. Yeah, no one cares. Do your thing, and we'll (laughs) keep you on. If you need someone to look out for you, you can ask me. I'll look the other way. Um, so that's just one example of all the bizarre things we go through in ultras. But what I found was I pulled into, um, so it's the end of the second day, Jill's, Jill's now linked up with me. She Mm -hmm. linked up with me at road 9123 or whatever it's called, 9127, some forest road, random forest road. So she's starting to run with me now. And we get to Lewis River. And Mm -hmm. the plan was, okay, at Lewis River, the sun's going to be going down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start getting tired for the second night. So I'm going to get in the van. I'm going to put my feet up on the dash, and I'm going to sleep for an hour. Right. Right. So what happens? I got my crew chief is my son, who's the submarine officer, no. his fiance, uh-huh. and two of my other kids, my 16-year-old f- and my 18-year-old. And they're really good at what they're doing. But they're busy. They're doing this. They're doing that. Drop bags. I For some reason, I didn't put my aid station labels on the drop bags. And so some oh. of them ended up in places they weren't supposed to be. Right. Blah, 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 blah. So there's drama. So it's sort of like that. that that when they used to go to the moon and they used to sit in the lunar module and NASA would say, you will land on the moon and then you will sleep from here to here Mm -hmm. and then you will collect samples and then you will do this data thing and then you will sleep from here to here. And it's like, I'm on the freaking moon. How do you expect me to sleep? I'm so amped. (laughs) And I was like, you can't just build it into the schedule. You sleep when you're tired, right? Right, yeah. So I laid down and I'm like, Looking at the ceiling of the van, right. And I'm like laying there for twenty minutes, sleep. It is time to sleep. Sleep. Yep. And it's like it's not happening. Yeah. And I finally said, "Screw it, Jill, we're leaving." She's like, "Okay." And the kids are like, "Oh, you're up?" And I'm like, "No, I never was now. <laughs> never was asleep." <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> so that plan went away. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I realized that I needed to sleep when I was sleepy, right. and that's what I started to do. Um. So we hit the next stretch, which was tough. A lot of down trees. I think there were about 400 down trees, ranging from about a foot across to that's four feet across. That's what we heard. Right. That part. Yeah, and I had these. Uh, I had my carbon fiber trekking poles, and they came in very handy. Mm-hmm. And that was Ben again. Ben, and also uh, uh, DJ Lortcher. I have to give mm, yeah. tremendous kudos to DJ because he was kind of my my coach. Um, he was really good about giving me advice. On my way, on my drive up there, mm-hmm. he talked my ear off for 90 minutes and told me these are all the things you need to think about and points you need to think about this and that and the other thing. But getting over those down trees was was a little bit of a challenge. Um, but Jill was with me during that stretch. And what was funny is in the race directions, it says, oh, this is classic northwest trail running. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I've done this before. I've run along the Umpqua River. I've run along yeah, I know what that's like. This is going to be awesome. Oh, right. my gosh, it sucked. <laughs> um, I mean, mostly because the ups and downs, and it was constant climbing, but then you'd go down and then you'd go up, and then we had to cross the big the rivers that mm-hmm. were you know, knee-deep and 100 feet wide. This was not like Wasatch rock hopping or anything like that. This, right. was, this was real Pacific North, Northwest Bigfoot stuff. And uh, we finally got – and then it started to rain. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't raining that hard. It was right. a Pacific Northwest rain, small system coming through. Um, never even really enough to put on my raincoat, mm-hmm. but it was annoying because you were under this giant canopy. The rain didn't really get through except in the spots where it did. And what, what, what's going to exist where it does it's cause there's holes in the trees and that's where the sun is. And right. so there's undergrowth. Mm-hmm. And so this undergrowth is collecting these raindrops. Right. And so uh. for like three hours, Jill is watching me take my carbon poles and flick, and flicking flick everything yeah, for you. everything get there. you know i'm ca- I, I don't know why she's she's pacing me i should have had her go ahead and do it for me but I, of course i'm not thinking at this point no. it's the second night whack whack and i'm like after about an hour it's like every time there was rain water on the bushes it's like
2: back you son of a bitch back <laughs> 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 you <laughs> kind
1: of your own little game yeah, now. yeah, yeah it's exactly like, i was like having <laughs> fun with it you know i was, I was annoyed as hell but it was <laughs> like might as well have fun and then we finally got onto a trail that wasn't overgrown and a piece of, piece of crap trail. Mm-hmm. When I say piece of crap, I mean it was adventuresome, but it was still really hard to make any progress on. Right. But it was this really good trail. You could see, like, mountain bike tires, tracks and right. stuff. You knew, that okay, this trail gets used. And I, all of a sudden, like, uh-oh, I'm crashing. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to walk into trees. So I said, okay, let's try this again. Jill, set the alarm on the phone for 10 minutes. I'm lying down. Lie down. Crashed, slept under this perfectly dry spot where it's raining all night, but not very heavy. And so I'm under this huge tree. It was right. dry. Wake up, seven minutes. Boom. Alarm didn't even go off. I'm just like, I'm up. What? Uh, and for like the first five seconds, like, I have no idea where I am. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? She's like, Yeah. It's not even been 10 minutes yet. I like, Oh, I thought it'd been like three hours. <laughs> yeah. And so. Then I started getting tired again a little bit, but it was the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I got this album on by Harry Nielsen, who was like a great singer from the 60s, called The Point. And it's uh it was an, a cartoon and it was also a bunch of music and narration and I had knew the whole thing by heart so I narrated and sang the entire album out loud. Oh, um, awesome! It kept me awake. <laughs> and, and it was like I could have done the wall too, but y- I didn't. Yeah, uh, I feel That's the next one I should do is next next year. I think I'll bring the wall so I can sing that. So you're singing, you don't fall asleep. Right. Neither I'm does anybody around you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 but We'll get to Council Bluffs and Aid Station, and then we'll be okay. Right. I'll, I'll sleep there. So what happens? You get there. I get on the damn cot. Mm-hmm. It's raining. Mm-hmm. The cot is part under the awning, part not. So it's raining on the cot. Oh. They give me this this moving blanket, wool moving blanket thing. I put it on. I can't get warm. Mm-hmm. I've, at this point, changed into dry clothes. Um but I'm there for half an hour trying to sleep, and nothing's happening. And mm-hmm. I'm finally, screw this. And I can see that it's starting to get light. So I say to Jill, we're leaving. OK, let's go. So another cheeseburger, of course. And then we're out the door. And at this point, I'm like, when's this rain going to end? And then the rain, it finally, at about 10 o'clock that morning, it really cleared out. And it turned into a beautiful bluebird day. The smoke that had been there the day before, which I didn't mention. It wasn't really bad, but it was just kind of high. It was a lot of fires in the Northwest last summer. That blew out. And then kind of for the rest of the time, I I, I figured out every four or five hours I'm gonna to need to sleep for about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna try to force myself to sleep. I'm right. not gonna wait till I get to an aid station. When I'm tired, I'm I'm not going to I'm not gonna try to sing an album. I'm just gonna lie down and sleep. Right. And then when she finally had to bail on me because she was exhausted, um, she uh she left at Click A Tat. Um so she had finished her, her at miles. Bo- that point, 80 miles. She'd oh, okay. done 80. Right. So she, she belled at Clickitat saying, you know what, it, the sun's going down, and I don't think I can do another night. Mm-hmm. And the kids had made it up to Clickitat. We didn't know if they could. Rental van, awesome. Made it over that road. We brought a rental van in places where no rental van should ever go. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. I was ready to go into that third night, and I felt so amped. It was just so cool being part of this experience and seeing so much country at the same time. Mm-hmm. At this point, I've seen Ben a couple times. Ben passed me before we got, I got to click a tat, and that was the last time I think I was going to see him. Um, he passed me at mile 100, and I want to say 140, and then he put another couple hours on me—three hours. I think he finished in 69. I finished in just uh, in just under 74, mm-hmm. 73, 59. Yep, right. So then, um, anyway, I tat was weird because I, at this point, I have lost, even though I'm a GPS junkie and I had studied that course, I kind of lost complete perspective of where I was. I knew what I was doing, but I thought, I'm going to leave Cliquitat and I'm going to do this giant 20-mile loop and come back, right? or something. I don't know what I was thinking. Right. At this point, you're making a hard left turn and you're following a big, huge, long ridge line, mm-hmm. big-ass ridge line for like 20 miles and you're going out to the next aid station. Mm-hmm. And you follow the ridge line and it's pretty straightforward. It's like running the it's like doing the world but it's not really technical. It's a trail along the world. It's what it's kind of like, you know, right. but at a lot lower elevation and big, big huge trees. So, I'm a little disoriented, but I'm seeing stuff that's really cool. And the other part of the problem was I t- deci- decided to listen to a science fiction audiobook. I do not recommend this for the third <laughs> night of an ultra because <laughs> it really creeped uh, me, yeah. me out. This is with you. It, it did. But anyway, um, I left Clickitat. There's this beautiful lake that was up there on this ridge line, um, and the trail was actually in quite good shape. And at that point, I passed Bryce Astle. I guess Bryce was having kind of a rough day. Bryce is a better runner than me, but um, I I was doing a real good job of sleeping when I needed to, and all the other stuff. And I had my nutrition was spot on. I was drinking my milks. So I had my food. Mm-hmm. I had my cheeseburger at Clickitat. Right. Um, and then the clouds came in. Yeah. And that was interesting, because you're running through the forest, and then the, the deck dropped. Oh. And, I and went you're listening th- to science fiction. I'm listening to science fiction. <laughs> and then I decided, because the deck dropped, and I was using poles, I really couldn't use a handheld. But I don't know if you've ever run in clouds. You don't run in clouds with a white light. Yeah. So I switched over to Davy Crockett Green, which <laughs> helped a lot. <laughs> That's right. And then so when I was climbing, I'd switch over to red. Right. I'm big about light discipline. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, that way it gives you some peripheral vision. And I took some really funky pictures, actually, of, of me running with the green light and the clouds. Yeah. So I finally get the twin sisters, and I'm like looking forward to seeing my wife and my kids and everything. I pull in there, mm-hmm. and the first thing that happens is Jill and my son look at me and they say, "We got to go find a lost runner." Um, oh, so you have your um, do you have your the ham radio frequencies? Right. Because we had our ham radios with us. Um, and they were tied into the net for the race. Mm-hmm. And I said, Yeah, you're good to go. It's just channel one or two is where we're going to be on this backside. So that's your simplex and that's your repeater. So, and all of a sudden it was really weird because I'm like totally spaced out because I'm running. A a 200-mile race. It's the middle of the third night. Right. I'm sitting there eating my cheeseburger, and all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to go channel one or channel three. That's going to be this repeater that's on this mountain over here. And you got your simplex here. And I bring the ham radio guy over, and I say, yeah, you guys, you, you're going to interface with her, right? Because she's a doctor, and he's a le- naval an officer, and they're going to go find the lost runner. Okay, we got it. Boom. I'm like, okay, you guys have fun. I'll be okay. Uh, I'm going to leave here in about 20 minutes. And I say, okay. So they went off on a search and rescue mission it was amazing. I, I had any presence of mind at all to even think about total it. total right? clarity. And it, exactly. it, was, it was really Discipline creepy. And it <laughs> was, yeah. So anyway, they went off for, for their SAR mission. And that's the guy that Ben mentioned, the lady that Ben mentioned, Jean from New Zealand. Uh-huh. She's the one that threw her poles off the mountain. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sitting on the rock. Yeah. Yeah. She woke <sighs> up. What was funny is that she sat on the rock, and then she fell asleep. Mm-hmm. So when she fell asleep, when she finally woke up, she was like, she knew exactly where she was. She knew exactly what she'd done. She turned around and came back. So I'm heading out, and all of a sudden, here's three lights bounding through the fog. Do, 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 do. It's like close encounters.
3: <laughs> and it's
1: Pip, my son, and and Jill, and Jane. Yeah. And I'm like, did you find her? Did you find her? She goes, yeah, she's fine. I said, how are you? She goes, oh, you must be feeling And Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, let's all have a party. French toast. Um, <laughs> I was oh, like, no, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so she finished, and she did really well. I awesome. Mean, with all that drama, she still finished. She was, the, I think, the second or third woman, and she was under 80 hours. Oh, though. my goodness. Yeah. So that was really fun to be able to mm-hmm. be a part of that. And so Jill was thinking about picking me up at that point, mm-hmm. And then sh- she had to go on the SAR mission. I said, Jill, go ahead and go down. Go with Pip. Get taken care of. She goes, OK, I'll see you. I'm going to try to pick you up at the next aid station, which was uh, Lewis Creek. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not Lewis Creek, uh, Owens Creek. And that was only about 18 miles away. Now, that's the other thing about the 200s. And I know Ben talked about this. It was funny, when I was at Klickitat, I was so disoriented in terms of where I was and, and where I was going that I was putting food in my pack and stuff in my pockets and going, I wonder how much I should take. And so I looked at the guy and I said, how far to the next aid station? He said, 20 miles. Oh, jeez. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, guy, Yeah, <laughs> okay. We're going to process yeah. that up in your head a little bit. No. It's not five. No. It's not seven. It's not five. It's not seven. No. It's <laughs> 20 miles. It's you know? amazing. Man. So then I got to... Uh, I had a really good stretch between Twin Sisters and the top of Pompeii Peak. And at coming down Pompeii Peak, my brain kind of went into a whole different world. I had envisioned that I was going to be going down this giant bowl like mm-hmm. a cirque. And I wasn't. I was going down this ridge, and then I was going to hit a logging road. But then the hallucination started. Oh! I saw campers. I saw th- this road was abandoned, so it was creepy. You're going by abandoned campsites and stuff like that. So it was creepy in itself. I saw World War II reenactors, German soldiers walking through the woods with their Mauser rifles. Um, And uh, I kept seeing the end of the road where the road was open and where I'd get off the closed portion. So I kept seeing, like, kiosks with forest (laughs) information, Mm, (laughs) Winnebago's. Right. Um, And then the sun started to come up, and my phone started. I, I thought, oh, you know what? I know where I am. I'm above packwood and above randall so i turned my airplane mode off and all of a sudden like text messages start flooding in and it was so disoriented like dude we're trying to track you but the tracker's not working are you okay all these people like my family and friends and stuff i'm like what does this mean this is what people huh (laughs) why i'm going to sleep (laughs) <laughs> and I well. had another wave of fatigue hit me. Right. So I found one of these abandoned campsites. No. And I laid down, and there was these stumps that were stools. Yeah. So I put my feet up on the stump. Mm-hmm. Cause I, that's another trick that Jill's taught me with her yoga and all that crazy shit she does. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually really good. It's awesome. I've, I've learned a whole new paradigm of how to take care of myself. Put your feet up when you lie down. So I put my feet up. Blisters. I had blisters at this point. I had some really big shiners on the back of my heels. Uh, nothing besides that, but, you know, five river crossings will mess you up. All right. And I'm going to be using different shoes. The speed goats are going to probably work a lot better for me. I've tested them out, and I really like them. But um, I laid down, and I put my alarm on, and I woke up, and now the sun was pretty much up. And I looked to my right, and there's a whole bush full of marion berries. Ooh. I mean, it
0: was covered. Game on for me. No, do <laughs> <laughs>
3: I <laughs> just stood there for three minutes eating berries. I would have just shoveled them How room. did you know that wasn't like a mirage? Like, it wasn't like a full-on... I mean, did you go over the there, only, you, you, you go over and there touch and touch them. You touch them. There it is. Yeah.
1: You smell it? It's like, yeah. I mean, it, they could have been, like, poison ivy. I would have killed yeah. myself. Yeah. But I... At like, that, that point,
0: I would have been grazing. I just would have been on all fours eating them off the bush that way. I
1: was like, I was like an elk. So... At this point, I'm still staggering down the trail. I had my little nap, but it was still pretty rough. And right. I pulled into the aid station, and this was about a half hour later. And my little nap had helped a lot, but I was still tired. And it was funny. I think this was probably the most brusque I got during the entire race at, at this aid station. I walked in, and I said, they said, do you have anything you need? I said, I need bacon, a Coke, eggs, and a chair with a blanket. Okay, we'll get all that. I said, and uh, orange juice, you have it? Yeah, we have orange juice. They have everything at these aid stations. Uh, Candace does such a great job. So I laid down, and they put the blanket on me, and I and I l- slept for seven minutes again. And then I woke up and I was eating and I was about to leave, mm-hmm. and this lady walks up and she to me and she says, "Do you belong to the woman in the brown hair?" <laughs> <laughs>
2: hmm.
3: And I thought, am I hallucinating? Yeah, <laughs> you're over it's there real. like touching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're real her face. And I
1: said, "Huh?" she She's. St- What's your name and your number? And I told her, and she was just a minute. And all of a sudden, Jill bounds out of the back of a pickup where she's been mm. sitting. She had Pippa driven her up there and dropped right. her off. And the kids had gone back to the hotel. Yeah. So she was, w- I'm like, oh, thank God. So, And I had no presence of mind whatsoever to even ask whether she was there. I mean, she talks about I'll be at the next aid station, and that didn't register. Right. So she's there. And so we ran the last 12 miles down together. And it was kind of like, at this point, I'm just like, not really death marching. I'm trying to move. But I don't really feel like I can run that much. right? And so we get all the way down the little highway along the Cowlitz River. We turn right on the bigger road. Mm-hmm. We're going over the big, huge steel bridge. And of course, what am I doing? The whole five or five minutes, I'm looking behind me. Nobody, nobody, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody. And so I'm like, OK, I'm all right. So I'd make the right-hand turn. And I'm, at this point, about three-quarters of a mile from the high school. And I look behind me, and there's a dude. Oh, no. With a pacer. <laughs> like a real dude. Not like a real Not an imaginary dude. Yeah. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> and I you gotta understand, when I first started doing hundreds, I, I, I still am not the strongest finisher in the world because sometimes I lose my give it damn, but I'm only 10 miles away, so I'm just gonna walk it out. But generally, I don't like to do that. I like to have a strong finish, and I was not finishing strong for this race. I, <laughs> I'd kind of given up on the sub seventy-two, which was my goal. Right. That was kind of my big goal was let's get. I can go to sub seventy-two because that'd be like two Wasatches, thirty-six. Right. And at this point, it's already it's seventy-three forty-one or something like that, seventy-three forty-two. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna make it. And I, I'd written that off. But this guy and I had been playing leapfrog, leapfrog for two days. <laughs> <laughs> and here he was, looking very chipper. Your nemesis, and I had no personal animosity to this no. gentleman. I'm, I'm sure that he probably would save me from a he know, was quite pleasant or something. But, but at but that, that point, yeah, at this point, he was basically uh, Shiva. Yeah, and so I was not going to hear about it. And I said, I, I basically, I uttered a very loud profanity. <laughs> and <Jill's laughs> Tarretts like, kicks in. And yeah, I exactly. said, I cannot, I cannot. This is not happening. Right. And so I literally took off and on feet that were basically b- bricks right. and blisters and they were wet still from the river ah. crossings and everything else. I start pumping my arms and I look down and my heart rate went up to like 140. And I think I was knocking out like 8 <laughs> nine minute miles. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and it was funny. I turn into the parking lot for the, and I keep looking behind me and he's, he's picked it up, but uh, he, I think he's, I, I don't know if he's thinking he can do it or not, but right. I kept going faster and faster and faster. So I'm running through this parking lot and I say, Where do I go? Where do I go? I'm looking for flags and <laughs> yeah. stuff. And one of the people actually looked at me and says, Are you a runner? <laughs> like, because nah. they're not used to nah. seeing nah. people, yeah, you exactly. know, finish this fast. Yeah. They're like, There must be a pacer going out ahead <laughs> yeah. to take pictures or right. something, you know? It's like, dude,
0: someone already took first place. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, (laughs) That's probably the more logical response. (laughs) And I just go
1: flying around the track, and people are, like, hooting and hollering, like, who the crap? I mean, why would you do this? But it turned out really well because it ended up letting me break 74 hours. That's awesome. By, like, 40 seconds. Oh, yeah. So it worked out. I mean, if I'd set that as a goal, I probably could say, well, that's why. But no, it was because this other dude. And he came in 90 seconds after
3: me. <laughs> he was booking it, huh? He, he was booking but, it.
1: And I think he wanted to catch me. Yeah, like, yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, But then and he you saw you speed up and yeah, kind of broke his spirit. Me.
1: He saw me in the distance and I wasn't looking behind me. So yeah. I'm, I'm gunning for that guy. He's exactly. stalking you for yeah.
0: nine miles or he's something. He's <laughs> for the same for dude. 48 hours.
1: <laughs> he's the same dude who gingerly walked over my arm that was on oh, yeah. the trail at mile 125. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, at least he didn't stomp me yeah right you uh, didn't <laughs> to <bats>. need <laughs> so that was the story of the 200 and it was an amazing experience and i had never i had not experienced anything like that since really doing my first hundreds mm-hmm. probably the only thing that compared to it was maybe my first wasatch or the first time i went under 20 when i ran 23 flat at the bear and mm-hmm. it was kind of an out-of-body experience or under uh under 24 at wasatch um and it wasn't like I did that super well. I, I felt really good. Like I said, I m- went from like 90th place to 11th place in in the totality of the race. And I ended up winning the Masters. I was the youngest guy to finish that fast. Right. Or oldest Oldest. Guy. oldest. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oldest guy. Yeah. Um, above 50 anyway. So that made me really happy. But to me, it presents just a whole new set of challenges. And it's, it's really a grand adventure. Mm-hmm. And there's part of it that's bragging rights. I mean... I'll tell you a, uh, in terms of the future of the sport.
0: Okay, well, let me stop you right there. This will be a great spot to take a quick break because this will be the second part of the show, um, and we'll come back and talk to you about the future of the sport. So uh, we'll be right back. Do you like saving money by being a good driver? Health IQ gets you lower rates on life insurance with your health-conscious lifestyle. Learn more and get a free quote today at healthiq.com backslash manners. All right, now let's get back to Phil. All right. We're back with Phil Lowry here for episode 105. And before we cut him off there, this is something we'd like to talk about, especially to people with your pedigree and your background, right? And right. How, how long you've been into it, it's just the sport itself, kind of where it's come from, but also your thoughts on the future of the sport. Right? Yeah. Um, and you've yeah. been around long enough. You've, you you know enough.
3: Well,
1: this dovetails right into the whole concept. of Behind why I would go to the 200-mile distance right. and what motivated me. It was that sense of adventure and mystery. Mm-hmm. I will, spoiler alert, and I don't know how much of a spoiler it is, I know that Candace has talked openly on the Internet about starting a 500-mile
3: race. What? See, I've uh, heard that. What? Yeah.
1: Where? Uh, Arizona? To be determined. <laughs> TBD. What three
0: states is that going to be?
1: Hell. looking like a 10-hour cutoff. Uh, 10 10 day? Not 10-hour, 10 10-day 10 cutoff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, this is... What the hell? Why? Well, I'm with Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, I am I was skeptical about the 200-mile distance when I first started thinking about it, and now I was thinking about the 500-mile distance, but there are people that are putting posts on Facebook saying, take my money, you know? That's got What's the entry fee for
0: a 500-mile?
1: Well, you got to I mean, ask yourself, and you see, that was one of the things that put me off about the 200-mile distance is... Was the know, entry fee. ...900, 1,000 bucks, but then you think about... You're out there for three days and right. three nights a hotel. Yep. Plus, you know what else are you gonna do for three days of your life? And you're if you're on vacation. Let's see, three
0: nights hotel. Yeah, I could do three nights go? hotel. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <I don't laughs> yeah, know, you're, you're a tree nights, for you seven. Get, minutes. Yeah, you
1: get 106 hours to finish the Bigfoot. So that's four days. I mean, <laughs> if you think about how much four days of vacation would pay for when you take into account the hotel, the right. gas, and the food, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 not that far off. Um, huh.
0: So, meet swimming pools along the way, yeah. maybe. I mean, I get, I get the entry fee. I understand. <laughs> hey, that. No, I do too. Yeah. Speaking of swimming
1: pools, Candace puts on her race directions on the maps where the good swimming holes are.
3: Yeah, so I'd be all over. You that. would be all over. That. I'm a swimmer. I'm yeah, not going to get see, that straight. Would you Eric, call me on
0: the last one? You called me like a. I don't even make it. Eric, I see me. your future here. I, I don't oh good i'm glad you're looking at him <laughs> yeah the last show yeah i got called out yesterday <laughs> yeah the last show joe was like getting pointed at i know so but wow so this
1: I this know. goes to now Stephen jones uh may he rest in peace yes. uh steven was a, a good man but he and i often got into interesting discussions about things and sometimes we disagreed and Sometimes I thought he was a horse's ass, and I know he felt the same about me. But that's just because we were two irascible personalities, and he was a curmudgeon before his time. Um, (laughs) But um, he made the statement, 200 is the new 100. Right. And I have a hat. It's in my car behind us right now that says that, and I wear that hat with pride. And it's a a Stephen Jones signature hat. And I really do believe that it is. I think that Candace has got a tiger by the tail. Really? Uh, I do. Uh, I think that she has come up with a concept that's working. Tahoe is seventy-five percent full now. It opened a week ago. Whoa! Um, so she's going to fill Tahoe this year. Uh, I she's well on our way to fifty percent. No, she's not letting two. She's letting two hundred into Tahoe. I think she's only letting one hundred and fifty into Bigfoot. Maybe one hundred and twenty. Right. So she's got the concept, and plus she's got the crew, and her mm-hmm. trails are her courses are the best marked ever. Right. That's good. to you cannot you cannot be on that course without. Seeing a trail marking, right. So that being said, I think the sport is evolving, um, and I had an interesting conversation um the other day uh, with a couple of other friends about where what is the future of hundreds, right. And I see them more and more as being um, a a rite of passage or, or kind of a more of a pedestrian sport. When I say pedestrian, it's going to be something that people want as a bragging right. Okay. A hundred mile used to be when when my kids would go to school, the kids that now crew me and pace me, but the one when they were in elementary school, they used to tell their friends, my dad runs 100-mile races. Right. And the reaction they got was the same as if they said, my dad drinks gasoline as a hobby.
3: <laughs> gotcha. Yep. Um, that's changed. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now True. people are like, oh, yeah, you know I heard about that, and my aunt is thinking about doing that. Yeah. So the 100 now in 2017 is like the marathon was in 1987. Or 1977. Okay, the marathon was out there, kind of crazy. Now right. it's you know you can't swing a dead dog without hitting a car that has a marathon sticker right. on the back of it.
0: And we don't condone swinging swimming, swinging dead dogs. No, that's
1: no, no. Pi- that's 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 a. Uh, that I'm sorry, that, a, that was a good youth. I picked that like up that. in <laughs> Afghanistan. Sorry. That's, okay, that's, that's, that's actually an Afghan saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not swing a dead dog without hitting a lawyer in <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> I am a lawyer. That's all I had to say in Afghanistan. <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> oh, That's a little bit of Persian that I know. Anyway, um, so the hundred, I think, is going to become more and more like, uh, for lack of a better analogy, like Mount Everest. You know, now everybody's doing Everest. The only thing that really stops you from doing Everest is cash and time. Right. Um, and. As the Nepali government figures things out, they'll just keep raising the fee to go up there because you can't only have so many people on the mountain at a time. So it's going to get more and more expensive, and that's a very, very diminished uh, commodity, whereas the 100-miler, you'll keep seeing them pop up like mushrooms, and people will go for different experiences. But I really do think in the next 10 years that you're going to be seeing a lot of people with 100-mile buckles. And this raises some really interesting issues. If people really – the ethos of the sport – been mm-hmm. has been self-sufficiency, um, has been knowledge, trail craft, as I call it. Oh, uh, I like that. I remember being out doing a run um, in uh, Virginia. I was out working in the Pentagon for a temporary stint for a while, and I went out to uh, Manassas. And they were doing a race out there along the, um, the Bull Run Run course, which is a 50-miler they do every spring. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a fat ass that... Uh, uh, the folks that put on the bull Run run were doing the Virginia Happy Trails Running Club, and it was uh, right around Thanksgiving. And so we went out there and ran on this thing, it was like December, like right after, right after Thanksgiving, about this time of year. And if you've ever run in Virginia in the fall, uh, the leaves, it, before it really rains and snows, mm-hmm. the leaves can be very thick, six, eight inches thick, really big leaves that can be really slippery. And so, um, there were some guys that were lost, and I could see barely the imprint of the trail. It was mm-hmm. like this little divot. Right. And I said, guys, use your trail craft. Follow me. And, you know, I used to run with folks who'd know the scientific names for mushrooms and trees and oh stuff yeah. like that, you know, and and... You know, I think that as it becomes more commoditized and becomes the 100-miler, as it becomes more, as I call it, pedestrian, which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. as it becomes more common, I think you're going to be seeing more and more people that, for example, are going to insist on really well-marked courses instead of relying on their ability to follow the the proper path. Mm -hmm. This is something that the Wasatch 100 Committee is struggling really uh, Really? deeply right now with. Yeah, because they, I I feel, uh, you know, I have. I used to be a member of the committee, um, and we've parted ways because of a variety of reasons. Uh, um, uh, I've, I've moved on to other things, and, and that's kind of where I want to go. And I, th- I think that they're still struggling with the new consumer of this market. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I. I think they don't like it. Sure. Um, and i've taken a different perspective i think that the runners are the customers and you need to cater to their needs and if that means they want more trail markings you have to provide more trail markings or they're going to go away right you can't force someone to carry a map and compass and read their their maps Mm -hmm. unless you want to be an orienteering race you know yeah um or unless you are going to do something you know like we do in the army we require certain things and for example, when you do the air assault ruck march, you're supposed to have certain items in your ruck. and right. And and if you don't have them, you're disqualified no mm-hmm. matter how fast you go. Right. Um, and that's not what ultras are. Ultras are, uh, if you want to have a plane 100 where you're not allowed to mm-hmm. have any markings, you can do a plane 100. Right. So it's all a question about the philosophy that you want to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see there being issues with peti- people potentially doping and cheating. Yeah. That's one issue that comes up. Yeah somebody really wants to get to the top of Everest, you'll have a Sherpa short rope you. Yep. You know, Is that ethical? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And I think the ethics of the sport are going to be really challenged as we go forward. Yeah. Another issue is, uh, for example, um, somebody really wants to get 100, so they hire a crew and they hire pacers.
0: Yeah. So well, we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, we were talking about that, having like people that that's what they do. Yes, like so they or a website job, right? sitting there for people to sign yeah, up. We've have for coaches, people, yeah, we've already had coaches,
1: which is perfectly fine in my opinion. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a curmudgeon and I tend to tend to be very conservative in my ethics but I have no problem with people coaching yeah. whether they do it for money or you know um, for not just for free because they're friend I've coached but I've never been paid for it right yeah. mm-hmm. um but what do you do with that situation you know is that fair y- we already have people who mm-hmm. um but there there is a, for example at Massanutten Mm-hmm. There is a we used to be called the Stonewall Jackson Award, but people were a little concerned about that being Confederate. So I don't know what they call it, but there's an award if you run without crew or pacers, right? Okay, and that's a separate class that you can win. Oh, I gotcha. Um, so it, it doesn't matter who,
0: who finishes first. That person, if they're doing no pace, no crew, no they pace, can no have. No crew. Their own. They get a separate re- recognition, oh, that's right. right?
1: Okay. Yeah, and you, you, you can't win the race outright, no crew, no pacers, um, just because you're no crew, no pacers. Um, you'll be in a different category. So let's say a person with crew and pacers finishes first, and you finish third, no crew, no pacers. You'll be third, but you'll be the first in that division. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. like an age division yeah. in that respect. Yeah. Okay. Now, you may end up winning it. I mean, we had a guy, I think his name was Joe Schlereth, who came up back in the day around Wasatch. I think it was 1987, 1988. Literally rode up here the day before the race on a motorcycle. Showed up to the pre-race meeting, got his number. No drop bags, no nothing. Went to the start here at the start uh, right. on his motorcycle. Ran the race, beat Dana Miller, <laughs> who was always winning Wasatch. back right. then and then went home. Dana still remembers it to this day. Man. just just showed up and did it. Yeah, you know, no crew, no pacers, awesome. no, <laughs> drawbacks. no mean, drop bags, no drop bags. Just, <laughs> I, I still I, got I, his chaps from riding yeah, his bike. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe 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 he had a drop bag for a flashlight or something. I don't yeah. know. And right. that's back when that's all we had was flashlight. True. Were headlamps. Um, but uh, I see these as being significant issues going forward, and. The other issue is how races are going to respond to the consumer demand. Right. Do you, you, Do you have stick to your guns?
3: Yeah. Well, right?
1: and here's the thing. The, the value of an entry into one of these races is worth more than what, what's being charged. Right. Otherwise, you wouldn't have lotteries. Yeah. If you were to adjust the market, you know, there's a price point. Um, we had a um, Mad Dog uh, was a, a, a Mad Dog Henderson, Bob Henderson. Was a runner that run, ran. Uh, he was a lawyer in town and went to West Point, And his name was his name was Mad Dog. But he told John. He says, "Yeah, I know how you get John Groban, the race director at the t- uh, of Wasatch um, at back back then." And uh, he said, "You know, John, I know how you solve this problem with more runners applying than getting in. Mm-hmm. Just raise the fee to a thousand dollars. Right will be done. Um, now, very few races have gone that direction. Some have. Yeah. Um, and I, I deplore those races. I right. think that they're I think they've destroyed their race, and they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're not part of the ultra community. Mm-hmm. And uh, bad water, I would never talk about you. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're 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 in a different they're in the uh, a, another category entirely that I I just don't consider to be part of the community. Right. Um, I do think there's a vibe in the ultra community that I think needs to be preserved. Yeah. Uh, there's For a culture. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think the r- it's up to the race directors to not monetize it to the point where. Um, well, we're just going to keep jacking up the the fees. Once we have to go to a, a lottery, mm-hmm. that means that we win, right? We right. get more money. Yeah. Um, so we'll just keep jacking up the price. So we don't need a lottery, mm-hmm. and I think that's wrong.
0: Right. Um, well, so, and this is a big reason why we wanted to bring this up with you is we know you, and we know that you have no problem saying what you feel about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Where a lot of people do, they're trying to be politically correct mm-hmm. or don't want to ruffle feathers. Um, and we've definitely seen that right mm-hmm. but we like the the straightforwardness of what you're saying of right f- different perspectives like we haven't heard i haven't heard this perspective before. no i haven't either we haven't
3: touched on this this specific topic yet yeah correct of of race fees
0: yeah because you're right i mean if they did jack up western states perfect example where everybody wants in or, mm-hmm. or a hard rock if they jacked up the price less people would do it but who's going to get in at that point
1: well you have a number of issues that are floating around there number one it's just it's just the optics and the, the the gut reaction ethos to it. I mean, Wasatch uh, has done a really good job of keeping their fees low. I think they're still at 250 Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, they're considerably less than Western. I think Western is pushing 400 now. Oh, yeah, I think so. Four I thought
3: it was over 400 That it it was like 450
1: Yeah, it may be. A- and I think that Western... I know some of the folks that are really involved with Western, like the Rocket and Tropical John, and some of those folks who I really think are bringing an ethos to keep those fees down. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Western's board looks like. I don't know many of those personalities. Right. Um, I just know Tropical John, and he's a great guy. Um, And I applaud them for what they've done, by the way, because if you've ever done the Western States course, it's— it's a horse trail. I right. mean, it's it's not that particularly scenic. It's mm-hmm. not it's it's not unscenic. It's a it's a nice mountain trail. Right. But um, it's primarily downhill, mm-hmm. and it's very very runnable, very non-technical. It gets very hot. Yeah. But the last 50 miles are. Aren't much to write home about. What you have there is a mastering of marketing and the ability to attract top runners, mm-hmm. which makes it a spectacle in and of itself. I mean, right. if you've ever been to the Daytona 500, Dayton is not really a pretty place to mm-hmm. go to at that time of year. But the fact that they've created a marquee event makes it something else. History to right. it, and yeah, history and, and character and everything. And, you know, you've got other courses out there that are much more scenic and much more difficult, right. but they haven't marketed themselves in the same way, and they mm-hmm. haven't had the same amount of time, right. and they haven't had the vision that mm-hmm. Western states has. So you look at the trajectory that West Western's on versus the trajectory that Wasatch has decided to take, and and Wasatch is right now at a point where it's going through some major growing pains and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where it fits in the universe. Right. Um, you've got a board that's that's older and mm-hmm. still rooted in some of the older traditions, right. and you've got other upstart I call them upstart some of them have been around for a while like you got the bear which has virtually no pavement in it and yeah. right. is willing to adapt to new new, new the runners demands and things with respect to marking and things of that nature um and realizing you have to respond to those types of things so there's a lot of different growth in the races each of them governed by the various personalities of their committees mm-hmm. but the other thing is you're running a lot of these races on public land right and so one of the issues that i've raised and talked to some people that are very learned in these areas people like julie pierce who works for the blm and folks like that uh who can give me some perspective is at what point if you're running an event on 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 public land do you need to not make it so expensive that only the elite can really participate right um i don't know the answer to that question and uh, part of it is your own personal e- ethos should drive that, but the other part of it is: at what point are you really uh, involved in an event that is serving the public interest? The public lands agencies probably aren't the best people to ask, though, because they get a four percent cut, yeah. right? <laughs> so they'd love to see these races make more money, sure. And even if only the the absolute most wealthy people can afford to do it, so what? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other the other issue is if you are going to jack up your prices to like Western's going over $400 now from what I hear. I don't know. I don't follow that because I don't have any desire to do Western. Um, but if that's the case, then are there scholarship opportunities available? Are mm-hmm. there work off opportunities available? Right. Candace, for example, for Destination Trail, if you go work one of her aid stations for the duration, you uh, get a s- significant discount on entry. Right. Okay. I've done a little bit of work, uh, volunteer work for her, and that's gotten me a little bit of a discount, which right. is awesome. Right. Um, so that's another way that you can address the issue. But I ultimately think that um, if there's a market out there, you'll have more hundreds popping up, and you won't see the huge demand that would cause the prices to rise. But on the other hand, then you're dealing with these issues, like I said, of concierge pacing right. and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then that raises a whole new bailiwick, by the way. Uh, if you're going to be doing um, a pacing or crewing service, does that mean you have to get a special use permit from the force? I think you do at yeah. that point. I think your, you do. Your business, your business. Yeah. Or what you the, and the way to do that
3: by the way is you just talk to the race director and subcontract right. with the race director and give the race director a cut. Yeah, you'd have to because you, that, that liability would be pretty high on your part for creating that business. Yeah, and I think if I were a race director I wouldn't tolerate it. N- don't, well, no, the liability would Not be so much huge. that I'd want um, the money out of it, but I'd want I'd want there to be a unified effort
1: saying we all need to be on the same sheet of music. Yeah. Yeah. These are all the, th- there's a lot of issues. It's funny. Uh, what I really love about ultra runners is sometimes they can be very, sometimes it's maddening, but other times I really love it. They can be very simplistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll talk to some real experienced runners who've been around for a long time, and they'll say to me something like, well, I think you should do a run over Timpanogos. That would be really cool. I'm like, dude, have you read the Wilderness Act? Right. I, I mean, it doesn't even occur to me to say something like that. But right. if you've not been in the business of race directing, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. sure. The, the tremendous hassles and liabilities. You'll you'll have you'll be out there marking your course three days before the race and somebody shows up on a four wheeler saying, What are you doing on my land? Yep. Yeah. And it's like what are you talking about? Your land's like eight hundred feet over that way. Right. This is a forest trail. No, no, this has always been my land.
3: <laughs> and
1: these things happen. They do. And they be a pain in the butt.
3: Right. So let's talk a little bit about the so there's an influx of people coming into the sport. A really big one. Mm-hmm. And it seems to us, from where we're viewing this, is that they're not spending maybe as much time to get to know the history of the sport. They're just in it. They're, they're loving it. But they're not recognizing those that came before them, in a way. Mm-hmm.
0: And what it's taken to get
3: to I, where exactly. they get mm-hmm. that. What are your thoughts on that? So the, I mean, that's the first part of, of my question. So I'd like to hear your thoughts it's on that. It's a two-way
1: street. Um, On the one hand, they do have an obligation to understand they're entering into a culture Mm -hmm. that is not a marathon culture, right, by any means. Um, It is not a a one-stop-shop culture. It is a a group of people who have been passionate about protecting the resource Mm -hmm. and about fostering a sport that... Back in the day, I mean, you look at the companies, even the commercial efforts. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how much Solomon's making on their Ultra Packs or how much Ultimate Directions is or how much um, I'm wearing a pair of New Balance right now, Mm -hmm. uh, Leadvilles. I don't know how much of their market share is in that shoe versus... The thousands and millions of shoes they sell to people that are running five k's and ten k's or right. going to the
3: gym—probably
1: mm-hmm. not a lot. Nope. And so even the commercial people are bending over a little bit to cater to our market. Mm-hmm. And so when you next time you whine about the fact that your Phoenix Three only has 16 hours of battery life, well, most people aren't going to develop a product that is only for 0.5 percent of their market. Yeah. Right. And that's frankly the hundred miler's. That's not. That's about what we are. Yeah. You know, we think we're more. So in that respect, we need to. I think people need to educate, be, be aware of the fact they're entering into a culture. But there's also the obligation on the part of those of us in the culture mm-hmm. to do more to educate people about it. Right. If you've looked at the Wasatch 100 maps, for example, the old, old maps that uh, I that were put together by the the pioneers and the sport people, like uh, uh, um, you know John Groben and John Mulmer, Paul Hart, like Paul Hart and John Mulmer had a bet of a fresca over where Point of Contention was <laughs> as they were approaching it from Forest Lake. <laughs> and that's why it's called Point of Contention. People right. don't know these r- stories. Yeah. So I made a point not only to make those put those labels on the digital maps that Christian Johnson now... Uh, has out but also to explain where every single place name came from right. That's awesome people need to know why things are called what they're called and right. the same thing with the the bear 100 course you know you hit high top and you go into a place called buglers holiday why is it called that because when leland and i were out pioneering the course and originally mapping it there were elk bugling in that menu. okay and that's why it's called buglers holiday Um, Some of the names are just kind of corny. They're not named after any particular event, and others are named after really significant things that have happened in the race history. Um, So I think it's, you know, Dana Miller has really started to work hard to document Wasatch's history. Oh, good. That's uh, awesome. I've put together all the different courses at one point uh, into one map. Uh, you know, back in the day, Wasatch, the Wasatch Front 100-mile Endurance Run was the Wasatch Front 100-mile Endurance Run. It started and ended on the Wasatch Front. It started in Layton, actually started in, yeah, it started at Fernwood, mm-hmm. and it ended um, in uh, Alpine. And then the Wilderness Act came through and kiboshed the Alpine finish, and that's when mm-hmm. it diverted over to Sundance and then eventually over to Midway. Right, And it's finished in some variant of not being on the Wasatch Front ever since. But these are little historical details that, people can appreciate so the next time they come up with an idea of why don't we do it this way they you can say there's a precedent for that maybe we ought to revisit that right you know that's something that i i think that that uh that sense of history is important uh, because it can give you the precedent like wasatch right now struggling a little bit with a lot of pavement and having 500 miles of new trail having been developed right since The original concept was put together, and if you were to do it over again, you probably wouldn't follow the route that they now follow, so should you change it? And one of the issues that goes into that is, yeah, it's better to change it because it eliminates pavement, eliminates traffic, eliminates this, but is it in keeping with the spirit of the original founding of the race? Mm -hmm. And if you say, yeah, because we really ought to finish, for example, in Pleasant Grove, where Mm -hmm. you're within... Ten minutes of 450 hotel rooms, right? And you're closer to the international airport, and you can avoid eight miles of pavement and six miles of dirt road, and, and right. instead instead of single track, those are issues that you probably ought to know about if you're you want to have a sense of history, right? So it's on both the races to project that history out and explain to people: look, we're not just we didn't pop out of the ground like a daisy, right? You know, we've we worked hard to develop the relationships with the people that we. Um, work with, the f- mm-hmm. our stakeholders, forest services, the state, the um, private landowners, mm-hmm. industry, people like Salomon and, and Hoka and mm-hmm. all these other folks that come and give us swag, but more important, uh, support our runners and, and, and do wonderful things. I, I think it's a two-way street.
0: Right. Well, and I think so much of it, too, is there is so much involved. Like you just mentioned, all those entities that someone may have no clue, right? right. That's just like, I'm a runner. I pay this much money. They don't know the backstory of yeah. public land Forest Service. We had to divert because of new trail closure, or right. someone bought this land, and mm-hmm. the previous private landowner was cool, but this guy's not. And you
1: just described Lime Canyon to a T. Right. The, the old Wasatch finished into Midway. Yeah, yeah at the homestead. Yes, yeah. yeah. one of the reasons that got shut down was um, there was a whole bunch of private land that was in Lime Canyon, and one of them pushed back.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, Joel. Joel brought it up just a bit ago. Is just that responsibility, and you brought it up. What's our responsibility? You know, yeah. from from your point of view, from being the race director side and being involved with the race to the longevity you've had in the sport, mm-hmm. to newer people like myself and Joel that haven't been into it since 1994. When you see this upkick in new people going to temp, you know the traffic to get to temp compared to what it was ten years ago.
1: I'll say, I'll say that hasn't changed. That much because Timp has always been um, a uh, magnet for fools and lovers. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> and now it's more ultra runners. But back in the day, it was the Boy Scouts and BYU students. Yeah. And, uh, you just <laughs> fools. Pick <and> your lovers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you just pick That's your poison in terms of who's yeah. going to go get themselves killed up there. But um, <laughs> exactly. It. Uh, but you're right. There's there's a lot of pressure being put on put on our resource. Right. Um, and runners need to realize that i mean part of its education there is a there was a gentleman that that was complaining about all the runners who are cutting switchbacks on the Timpanogos trail Mm -hmm. and i i remember this uh, yeah and i i was very put out by that and i actually it was on a it was on a a forum or something maybe it was facebook it was and i i corrected him and i said i've looked at the strava tracks and the runners that are running up temp they're not the ones Cutting switchbacks, right? Uh, and I can tell you for a fact that, in speaking with the wilderness ranger who I used to work with up there on Turt, that the biggest offenders of cutting switchbacks are BYU students and Boy Scouts, right? Um, and they are; they are the ones who do it. Um, and that's just been anecdotally demonstrated season after season. And the ultra runners, those switchback cuts existed a long time ago. But if someone believes it, and we're in a we're in a world now of fake news, yeah. you know, if you keep saying it over and over again, ultimately it's going to get out that, oh, the ultra runners are the ones that are cutting all the cutting yeah. all the
3: switchbacks. Right.
1: And, you know, it drives me crazy because you don't understand. Ultra runners wouldn't cut a switchback because, number one... Um, it, it's it's dangerous, it mm-hmm. can create injury, and uh, we're out there to get the miles in, and to uh, going uphill, we know it's more
0: efficient to go right. on the gentler grade, so it mm-hmm. makes no sense. And I can't beat my Strava time, because it's a different route. That's exactly, <laughs> Strava I mean?
3: will DQ you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, I mean,
0: but the, true, a lot of it, because we, we see the people that sit in the bus, and see people on the trails, no matter what, but a lot of times, it's that trail runner, slash ultra runner, that in our, in our eyes, is also the people that are doing a, a lot of stuff in return whether mm-hmm. it's trail work whether it's picking up trash mm-hmm. whether it's the education part i mean that's a big influx of the people that yeah understand right. and know how to appreciate
1: it you got logan ledford who's the trash king of the Wasatch yeah. out there who's picking up trash all the time you've got nate younger who has led the effort along with kendall wimmer and a few other american fort gurus of uh, american fort canyon gurus who have adopted the timpaniki trail mm-hmm. and have done more work to help that trail out than I've seen from whatever much what you call it, trail adopters in the last 15 years. Yeah. Right? Because they can they can move their butts and get to the places where the work is needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this uh, this brings up an interesting issue. Uh, I used to be law partner with uh, a lieutenant in Utah County Search and Rescue. And they had a search, it's about 10 years ago, for a missing kid, um, not by Mirror Lake, but by another another place where people go and get themselves in trouble. <laughs> um and uh i saw the search grid that they were establishing and how it worked and i said john you need to have a quick reaction force you need to have people who can really cover ground because the ground that you're covering is really not very much you need people to hub and spoke go out on a trail go 10 miles and then come back and do you know they can get out there in two hours and your guys are taking four hours to get out there and 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 they're they're, they're there's there's two different ways to do it there's There's, well, there's three. If you go the military analogy, there's the infantry way, the ranger way, and the special forces way. And you need to have all three to have a successful mission set. Um, And, yeah, there's rivalries in the service about all that. But each of those components have a different mission and have a different objective. And Mm -hmm. together they work really well. Right. So the special forces are the ones that are going out, small groups, boom, boom, boom. And then the rangers, a little more technical, but not quite as fast. And then the, the infantry, which is kind of like your your brute force, okay? right? So you do all those things. Ultra runners, they, they just did this search in Kenny Canyon for this guy who yep. Was missing. Yep. And what did Newman do? Newman, the Numinator gets on there and says, "Boom, let's go out and just fan out and see what we can do. We're fast. We know the country. Right." And I loved it. I saw you know, th- we do that a couple times, and if even without a successful result, the search and rescue will realize. Because they're very territorial and mm. for a good reason. Right. They don't want people breaking things yeah. Yeah. and getting hurt themselves. Yeah. But they realize well, people are really capable. They really know what they're doing. Yeah. Then you start using your assets in the community, and Ultra Runners can be a big
0: part of that. And that's right. part of that
1: education that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's educating our stakeholders, not just the people who are new coming into the sport. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, I mean, they're just, there is a large number of good people willing to help. Like you just said, On, I mean, I saw that on social media. Like, where do you need me? What time do I need to be there? You know, what do I need to do? And it is. It's covering ground quickly, right? Under knowing the territory. That's their that's their area they go into. Yeah. That's Yeah.
1: And that's the other thing. As long as they are, you know, they're smart about it. Yeah. And they show up with some kind of a communications plan. Maybe they have little family service radios, but at least they have something or they have cell service in that area. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. But you know, this is gonna require this would require a lot of coordination with SAR eventually, but I, I can see Right now, things are really in flux. You've got this group of Wasatch Mountain Wranglers, and nobody really knows what it is. I mean, we talked about setting up a nonprofit a a year or two ago, and we never really could get it off the ground, and I thought the Wranglers could be a big part of that, but then we didn't really know what the Wranglers were. They're kind of like a watermelon seed. They're really slippery. Mm -hmm. They're just a group of people, and they're not really – they don't have a mission statement or anything, and they want to keep it that way, and I'm totally cool with that. But right now, we don't have an advocacy education – and uh, representation group. And maybe we never will. I- I'm sure. not in favor of creating standards. I'm not going to do the ITRA. Um, right. Y- you know, th- those guys in Europe, they're. They're very European. Let me just put it that way. Oh <laughs> well I mean yeah, yeah. Having worked with the German cul- army, I'm I'm that's very their familiar, culture, right? Yeah, that's their culture, right? We must have uh, organization, and yeah. we will we will have this uh, this cell here and this cell here, and then mm-hmm. we will then we will be organized, and we will do it better. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's America. Yep.
3: <Yeah>. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I don't know what the answer is, but I think something like that has to happen ultimately, especially if we're going to get. If we're going to get any traction in the legislature, if people start doing things to us we don't like.
3: Yeah. And uh, in Congress. Good point.
1: Well, look, what, look at the difference. Three races. Western States, Hard Rock, and Wasatch. All three of them got kiboshed by wilderness. Right. Western States did it right. They grandfathered 300 and some odd people to go through Granite Chief. Right. I mean, they zinged it. They got it. Mm-hmm. Hard Rock, I don't know what their advocacy piece was, but they got a haircut. Mm-hmm. And maybe because they didn't have enough, enough history. And they couldn't advocate for more slots, right? But they got whacked by the Handy's designation, yeah. And then Wasatch got killed yeah. by the by the Lone Peak and Tempanogas designation. It was, but of course Wasatch was two years old at the time, and mm. they couldn't say there's going to be 150 people doing this race, right? But y- you got to be ready for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they try to designate wilderness right now over the Bear Course. You know, they're going to expand the Naomi Wilderness, for example. Hmm. Um, what? Who's going to be your advocacy group? For no, that's
3: a good point. How, how are
1: yeah. you going to get that piece done and get right. a grandfather so you can go through there once a year?
3: Well, something we never talked about before Yeah, is that. I mean, it's never been, like, an issue. I mean, the talk about, like, okay, the, the, this race could be no more because of this wilderness designation.
1: Well, that's actually, you know, Chaffetz, when he was in office, there was actually a proposal to create some quasi-wilderness areas that would have impacted the the Wasatch course near Bear Bottom Pass. Mm-hmm. Um and by the way, there are four different meanings for that. One is bear being bear or or uncovered, and the other one is bottom or ass, depending on what you want to call it. So <laughs> we know I, which I way I we would. I don't <laughs> know which one it is yet. <laughs> right. Uh, actually, yeah. the story behind that, if you want to know the history on that gazetteer thing, apparently there was uh, one year someone was up there doing a training run, and they came across a couple doing the nasty. Oh, and yeah. And that's why it's called bear bottom pass, not right. bear ass pass, B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R. Right. Not yeah. There was never a bear seen there. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story. And that happens a lot by the way, but we won't go that's a different podcast. <laughs> 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 but um, we actually researched that issue. Are we gonna have run into a wilderness problem? Up there? Right. It turned out to be a non issue. It was just one of these, you know, compromise plans that was always being circulated in Congress never goes anywhere. Right. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be thinking about these things, especially as races become more popular. Right. right. And if you have a 200 mile course, you have twice the fun oh. to deal with regulatory issues. Or yeah. the
0: 500. Or the 500. Course. Me and Joel are still wrapping the 200 mile around. So when you said 500, I just thought my brain just yeah, exploded. That's why
3: my, I had that huge eye roll. It's <laughs> so like, oh my god,
0: 500. <laughs> and it's mile like, course. come on. I can't imagine. Why the you lit- keep throwing the gauntlet down? Well, it's well, hard enough keep moving the, the,
3: the, the end zone, the goalposts keep getting moved. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Part of it is also logistics. Like, I think of the 200-mile course. I'm like, I cannot imagine the logistics going into that. Now you add 500 miles. Yeah. The logistics of that are incredible. Well, but I'll tell you what.
1: With the way Candace does her races, and I'll throw this out there since we were talking about this before. I am totally convinced that you could do her race, no crew, no pacers.
0: Joel, this is Joel's big thing. Like, yeah. I'm going to do a show just with Joel, and he's going to be my guest, <laughs> and we're going to talk no pace, no crew because that's what he keeps bringing up. My first Wasatch was no pace, no crew. I'd like to see
1: my more people. My tri- first five or six Wasatches yeah.
3: were no pace. no I'd crew. like to see more people try it.
0: Yeah, to be honest, you
1: really don't need it when you have a well-organized race. Well, it's right, kind of exactly. That,
0: and it's that next evolution, like you were talking about the hundred miler being more pedestrian. Right. It's like if you want us to do the hundred mile, that's just a way to add. A little something to it. It's another. It's
3: just another aspect of adventure, right? Yeah. I honestly can can I be self-reliant enough to, to get from point A to B?
1: I think Gary Knippling, who's the director of Massanutten has got it with this. And there's other races that uh, I think uh, uh, Angelus Crest, a couple others, have picked up on this mm-hmm. separate award idea. Oh, yeah. I really love that idea. I think the guys I
3: up at Palisades are going <laughs> to do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I pitched it to to Wasatch, and it, 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 it they got some interest, and then it kind of died, because people said it's just too complicated, and I'm like, whatever. No, it's but not. But it's not complicated. No. Um, They were even going to call it the Porter-Rockwell division, which I thought was really <laughs> cool, and then it kind of died. But... That would get rid of your you know, you have so many issues at Wasatch right now with parking and, yeah. and basically it no longer being a crew friendly course. Mm-hmm. No, it's not, it's it's no. it's 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 got to it's gotta fix that. And I don't know how they're gonna do it, but they they'll get there eventually once once they figure out that they need to. But um, one way to alleviate a lot of those problems is to s- give that special award, and then maybe you'd have ten, fifteen, twenty percent of your folks who would use a crew and pacers want to go for the award.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. They would have go. had a different hey, interest I get level. A, I get a
1: whiskey glass with the Porter Rockwell division or oh, whatever. that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, do cool. yeah. Right. I, I'll do it. That's cool. Yeah, right. People like
0: special buckle. Yeah.
1: Well, you see, that actually came up. Yeah, I'm, I'm we a give buckle a special whore. Buckle? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, people were like, "Well, yeah. but we have just one buckle for finishing and blah blah." But you could do a special. Buckle. Yeah, I'm a buckle. Pick the award. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a bottle of Grand Marnier. I yeah, don't know. Something, something like that. that. Exactly. Fireball. Fireball. Yeah. That's what I want. Well, it, it would really add. Big jug with the handle. Okay. <laughs> well <laughs> Sure. And it
0: would it would actually add, in my opinion, to the little, uh, what do you call it? I don't know. Just another caveat to the race where it would draw interest, right? Yeah. It's like one year. Well, maybe I'll try that next year. And then mm-hmm. you'll see like it go from like five people to 30 people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, to where it makes it a little more interesting. Right.
1: Yeah, I actually did a little informal survey of it, and I had a lot of people show a lot of interest in
0: it. Yeah. I think that would be good. We'd like to see that. I would. We should. On on that note, I had to step away. Yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, yeah, this was this has, was, been, this great has been great. Yeah, it I mean, has. It's, it's blizzard outside right now. Yeah, snow's awesome. coming the down. Snow coming down. The heat stayed well. Yep. I, I yeah. I opened the vent to make sure we wouldn't it's get busy. Not sticking to the CO two sensor didn't go off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, will I have one of those. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's my face. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Phil. Thanks for yeah. coming and thank you making the drive. Uh, we and coming can do, to we see can do this, this again because there. Oh, yeah, I, I think
3: we've got at least another hour of talking to do. Yeah, some other interesting. Well, and things. I'm
1: sorry I did the trip tick on the uh, on the 200. But oh, that's all right. Uh, no. it it. I mean, I hate I hate reading accounts like that. And I think if you read my trip report on Facebook, it's much more truncated because I just like to
3: hit the high points. But, sure. Um, well, first-hand experience is always better. Yeah, yeah and
1: I, I just, there was so much of it that you're cramming in and you're trying to figure out, but I'll go right back to that concept of that smell of that forest. It was just...
3: That's what you're asking. You're always going to be chasing that.
2: Uh,
1: you know, I, I that don't know. Smell. It was just such a surreal experience, right. and it, was, it left such an imprint on my heart, you know. It really was a magnificent place. Mm-hmm. And Candace made it so it was um, as pain-free as possible. It was extremely painful. But I'll <laughs> tell you, the last part... And maybe this is a great way to, to sail off into the sunset. It was true what they say about your body recovering it, recovering from it. Because the following weekend, um, I climbed Bora Peak twice for the eclipse. <laughs> once to scope out my camera location and the right. second time for the eclipse. Wow. Didn't climb all the way to the top, but just to the top of Chicken Out Ridge. Right. And that was a week after the race. So I, I recovered real fast. The only right. thing that really was slow was my feet. Feet. Like, and I shouldn't have gone swimming in the river and gotten the gravel in my blisters yeah, yeah.
0: that silt S- the silt that's, we've heard about the silt <laughs> heard, about heard about the, the silt. silt yeah, yeah.
1: Jill yeah. had to do surgery on me on a riverbank to yeah. get the gravel out of my blisters <laughs> <laughs> no thanks
3: yeah exactly I'm glad she's a surgeon <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it would be nice
0: to have well thanks Phil for joining yeah, us we'll, we'll definitely get you back on because there's definitely a few topics we'd like to hit especially with your your ideas knowledge of the, the sport and everything yeah. we're doing but uh, but thanks for taking the time to join yeah. us and yeah drive, drive safe yeah yeah thank you so All much right. guys thanks Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners Podcast. We'd like to thank Phil Lowry for taking the time to join us today. We definitely are going to get him back on for a few other sweet topics. We also want to encourage everybody to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by the website at trailmanners.com. Swing by the store page for some sweet gear or you can hit us up on the contact page. Let us know what you want to see, who you want to hear, or if you'd like to be on the show. Until next time, this is Eric Manning with Joel Hatch reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it.